Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. everyone. Happy Friday Eve. Great to have you with us. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Matthew Rocchio is here. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Randy. How are you? I'm doing good on a Thursday at 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let me see if we have the... Uh... It's so damn hot. We go. <laughs> Milk was a bad choice. This isn't going anywhere soon either. It's supposed to be in the triple digits next week. Great. Also. Great, great, great. Great. Uh, we're going to talk to Mark McGuire later on in the show. You'll hear from him at 9.15. And we recorded the interview yesterday, and I mentioned to him that this was the hot week in St. Louis, and he essentially laughed at us because it was 68 degrees in Huntington Beach, California. Yes, he has it much better from a weather standpoint. But we did talk to him. I remember, Randy, if this was on air or off, but we did also talk to him about what it was like playing at Bush Stadium back mm-hmm. in the day. And you talked about how it would get to, what, 168 on yeah, the turf? Yeah, 140, 140, 148 on the turf. 148 And he on never the had turf. to play on the turf here, though. No, but, but it was I, hot. I just think back to athletes back in the day that had to play in that environment. It was that hot on the field. Yeah. And you're wearing a baseball uniform. We did not give them enough credit. No, what they did, I mean, that, and granted, they're playing a game, but still, you talk about grueling and what it must have been like after a game, because you have to obviously stay hydrated, but can you imagine what it was like? I, I would just crash after a game. I'm sure I would have a massive headache and just go into the, the clubhouse and just fall on the floor and crash. Well, I thought about the Cardinals playing a doubleheader in yeah. this heat. Yep. After game one, you're, I, and I know that there was a lot of load management, mm-hmm. if you will, between the two games, but even sitting in the dugout, if if you're, there's fans working, I'm sure, but that heat gets in you. How about and the home it, plate umpire? Oh, yes, great call. But that exhausts you, that heat. Absolutely. The, the fact that the Cardinals have been playing in it and playing well is impressive. Cardinals have a day off after falling to the Pirates last night at the ballpark, 6-4. to four. They wind up 5-2 and two on the homestand. They take 3-4 of four from the Buccos, and it was not a great start for Jack Flaherty. He allowed an RBI ground out and an RBI hit in the first inning and the second inning. Another RBI sacrifice and a bunt single. Uh, Yadier Molina had a throwing error that didn't help and the Cardinals down 4 nothing in the second inning. But in the bottom of the second inning, the Cardinals started chipping away. Rare that you see this, but the Cardinals committing two errors that help out the offense of the Pirates and the 2-1 pitch. Goodbye! Adios! Wow! That gets out in a hurry as he turns on that baby. Dylan Carlson, home run number four, and St. Louis is on the board. 
Dylan Carlson being back makes a big difference in this lineup, doesn't oh, he? Oh, absolutely. Cool. It changes the entire complexity of it. If you have Dylan Carlson clicking with everybody else, absolutely. So it's a 4-1 game as we go to the bottom of the fifth inning. You've got Harrison Bader on base, you've got Tommy Edmond on base, and you've got the amazing Brendan Donovan at the plate. I just brought my lucky coat. Ripped down the right field line, fair and into the corner. One run is in. Edmond being waved in by Pop Warner. Throw to the plate, Tardy. Well, this kid is something else. Brendan Donovan pulls the Cardinals to within one. Brendan Donovan is a damn ball player. He's Randy, amazing. we had Nolan Gorman watch, and we had we've talked about so many of these young Cardinals players that we had circled their names, and we were waiting with bated breath for them to come up. And here swoops in Brendan Donovan and becomes a fan favorite immediately. But I tweeted this last night. I don't know when the Brendan Donovan fan club meets, but I'm coming with donuts because I love watching this guy play baseball. That's the thing about it, isn't it, Michelle? It's beyond the fact that he's good. He's fun. He is so fun. He. He's so entertaining. He plays with joy. He mm-hmm. and he produces too. It's a good combo. So after that RBI hit, Tyler O'Neill grounded into a fielder's choice. Run scored. Game tied 4-4. We go to the seventh inning. Marcano reaches base for the Pirates, and Brian Reynolds hits a long home run to give the Buccos a six-to-four lead. Then in the bottom of that inning, runners at second and third, one out, and this can't happen. Nolan Gorman strikes out. Tyler O'Neill strikes out. With the runners at second and third and one out, you got to get that run home, at least one run home from third base. Yeah. And the Cardinals didn't, and they fell 6-4. Oh, so okay. so close to the sweep. So close yeah, to the that's sweep. A, that's the thing. It's You take three out of four. If you do that if, if you do that every series, you're going to play 750 ball and win your division. Yes, you will. And I love that the Cardinals fought back in this one. It, would they have liked to have it? Sure. But to me, the most important thing coming out of this game was how does Jack Flaherty feel afterwards? Exactly. You know, the command wasn't there. He said as much after the game. Um, I don't know how many people had super high expectations for him in that regard, uh, velocity standpoint, command standpoint coming back, because you certainly have to get recalibrated. But I just want him to be healthy today and mm-hmm. feel good today, and then you build from there. Absolutely. One more note on the offense, only one for 10 with runners in scoring position. And Michelle referenced Flaherty three innings. He allows four runs on three hits. He, those two errors hurt a lot. Uh, he walked a couple. He struck out three. His manager, Ali Marmol. Um, those two plays didn't help. I think he uh, the outing looks a lot better if we make those plays. Uh, overall, I thought he actually did well for first time out and controlling his nerves. I mean, com- commanded his fastball. Uh, a lot of fastballs uh, for strikes, uh, some ground ball outs. Left a couple sliders up and got hurt. But uh, overall, um, still positive. The misplays hurt. But uh, more importantly, he feels really good afterwards. So. And yes, he's a major leaguer, but he's been hurt for a long time. He's coming off of an injury. It's his first start of the year at home, and he's playing for a first-place team. So I can get why there would be nerves for Jack Flaherty in his first start of the year. Absolutely. You're somebody who you know has a lot of eyes on you, and the expectation for you to be great is certainly high. I I know that we expect all of them to be great because they're professionals and they get paid to do so, but I think it's fair to say that our expectations for Jack Flaherty are much higher than they would be for most other people, and he's aware of that. And I feel great about him going forward because when he has been healthy, and let's keep this in mind, here's a guy that spring training ordinarily lasts six weeks. 
right? He's had basically two weeks of spring training, mm-hmm. and he's way behind everybody else. Once we get to him having had six weeks, it, a month from right now, right after the All-Star break, he's going to be ready to rock and roll, and he's going to be great. Yeah, that's uh, what I think, too, Randy. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that you kind of rip the Band-Aid off with mm-hmm. this first one. You, you get out there. You get the nerves out of the way. You you get your feel for what you're supposed to do. Again, Your the feel for your pitches. Mm-hmm. If we're heading... Or if this is the first start for Jack Flaherty after the All-Star break and he's had a couple turns in the rotation and we're still seeing the results like we saw last night, then I'm going to start getting the keys to the panic bus. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I remember talking to Mike Matheny in spring training 2013. And he said, I'm walking behind Wayno and I think I'm seeing double because there's another Wayno next to him. It was Michael Walker. And Wayno and Waka face each other on Friday night in Boston in the opener of a three-game series. Life is so weird, isn't it? <laughs> it how, really is. how one day somebody could be your teammate and somebody that you're a mentor to you and someone that you're supposed to be, essentially. Mm-hmm. Michael yep. Waka was supposed to be the guy that someone like Adam Wainwright would pass the baton to as one of the next great Cardinal pitchers. And because of injuries, it just doesn't work out that way. But here you are opposing him for another great historic franchise. And by the way, the Cardinals were in Boston three years ago, 2019, on the day that I got my tattoo. They were in Boston, and that's when Jordan Hicks, they announced that he was going to have, I think he got hurt at Fenway. And they announced he was going to have his Tommy John surgery. So Cardinals have been there, but the Red Sox haven't been back here. That doesn't make much sense. I love that your pinpoint for the memories is you getting the Stanley Cup tattoo. It's a pretty good benchmark for benchmark, me. Benchmark, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love it. I love it. Meanwhile, the uh, Stanley Cup Finals started last night uh, in Denver. Yeah, it was not great. It was 3-1 Colorado after a period. The Lightning get a goal in the second from Palat. Sergeyev scores at 13-39 of the third. Uh, actually, of the second to tie the game at three, then a scoreless third period, leading us to overtime, and Andre Burakovsky scoring the winner just 123 into overtime to give the Avalanche a one nothing lead in the series. Here is our hometown hero on Colorado's game-winning goal. Block a shot there. They got a bounce there, and it's in the back of that. So that's game one, and uh, we just got to refocus and be ready for game two. That's Pat Maroon. He's He's been through these wars before. Just, uh, yeah, refocus, get ready for game two, go win game two. Hey, if you're, De- if you're Tampa, it's just like the Blues. You want to split in Denver in the first two. And by the way, the Blues are still the only team to have beaten Colorado in this postseason. There's no panic for Tampa Bay. Absolutely not. They, they've they been there before. But, Randy, last night I get up, I get a glass of water, I settle back down, getting ready to watch hopefully the, the Lightning take it, and boom, Burkowski. I was like, you got to be freaking kidding me. I am so sick of the Colorado Avalanche winning. I am so sick of them. I am too. I, I just don't like them. And neither does Patrick Maroon, by the way, which is a great thing. But, yeah, they're, uh, they're really good. They're an easy team to be sick of. They're, yeah. And other than Kadri, there's not really anyone hateable on the team. And that's what makes them even more hateable. Yeah. Because they're just really good. Right. I can I can muster up some hate for some of those guys. Like who? Jared Bednar, for starts. Okay. So I can do it. I know he's a really good guy and he coached for the Blues at Peoria. But I can find something. 
Yeah, I just dislike Kadri because of what it did to Jordan Bennington. Yeah, well, he's and the to easiest Justin Falk. Yeah, and he, to Justin Falk. Yeah, he, Let's he, not forget that. Yeah, he is example A, no doubt about it. Uh, that is Michelle. I'm Randy. And throughout the morning, we'll keep you up to date on scores at the U.S. Open. It's underway in Brookline, Massachusetts. And at the moment, through five holes, Hayden Buckley, the American, is in first place. He's tied at one under par with another American, Travis Vick. And Colin Morikawa has played three holes. He's also one under. Adam Scott, Hideki Matsuyama, and Russell Henley all at one under early on at the U.S. Open in Brookline, Massachusetts. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Matthew is here. And coming up, sick of it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm over it, Sharon. I can't take this no more. I am done. I am sick of it. Do you hear me? Sick of it. I can't take it anymore. These people are the worst. Character and Smallman are sick of it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, Matthew, and Randy. And Michelle, we obviously want Jason Tatum and the Celtics to win the NBA title. But there are a lot of people that are rooting against the Golden State Warriors simply because they feel like they've won too much. I'm sick of the idea that a team can win too much. A disdain for excellence is something that I can't abide and I'm sick of. I I kind of appreciate excellence. Is that because you're a Cardinal fan? I think that's part of it. Yeah. And by the <laughs> way, legit excellence. excellence. Yeah, where you don't have to cheat for half of your your championships. I I'm talking about legit excellence. I'm looking at you, Bill Belichick. Well, the Cardinals have gotten in trouble for I mean, it was one rogue employee, but let's not act like there's never been any incidents here in St. Louis. Come on. Yeah, but they haven't won since that happened. True. True. And again, it was one dude. Yeah. With an with a vendetta. The jail. What's he up to, Chris Correa? I wonder if he has a gig. I don't know. He's, he a, good, he's out of jail, right? His draft was really, really, really good, by he, the way. He was good at what he did, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah also, he's out of jail. He's out of jail. He he lost a bunch of weight. He went on walks while he was in jail. Wow. Yeah. Just walked the, I would too, the perimeter of the, the yard out there. How long was he in jail? Do you remember? I think it was like three years. Yeah. I was going to say it was multiple years, yeah, it was right? It clink. Yeah. Great. Three years. I know. Because somebody didn't have the wherewithal to change their password. <laughs> like X922. <laughs> Come on, change your password. Change your password. Obviously, we're joking, but still. No, change your password. <laughs> no, still, but seriously, though, this is a reminder to anyone who might need it. Change your password. Yeah. Um, I'm sick of a couple things, but now that we're in this lane, I'm really sick of getting those notifications that my password has been compromised, and then you click on it, and there's 83 websites somehow that your password has been compromised on, and you're like, I haven't even used this one since 2005. I don't even know if I would know how to log in to change my password. I don't have an active account, so you're just going to let it sit there and be compromised. I don't care. I probably don't even know that password. (laughs) We definitely don't, which is why they're getting compromised. It's just yeah. out in the ether somewhere. Right. And if the people who are out there compromising passwords or doing things like that, you know, trying to, ha- I get, I'm not going to say what website, but I get notifications to my email all the time from a certain website that my attempt at login didn't work. And I know that I'm mm. not trying to log in. So someone's trying to hack into it. 
if we just had those people channel their energy into something productive, imagine what they could do or build. Oh, yeah, right. You know what, Michelle? It hap- That happens with our timesheet software here at work. Really? I always get that, uh, yeah, you can't log in and I have to re come up with a new password all the time for that. It's kind of a hassle. But no one's trying to hack into it. No, no. It's just... Oh, yeah, it's, that's what I'm talking about. People trying to hack in. They're trying to protect me. By the way, the uh, single Chris Correa draft. Nick Plummer, who's off to a good start with the Mets. Jake Woodford, Harrison Bader, Jordan Hicks, Paul DeYoung, Ryan Helsley. <laughs> uh, pretty good. Uh, somebody named Matt Veerling, who also made it to the majors. Pretty good draft for one guy and having one draft. Wow. Impressive. Yeah. Randy, in addition to passwords being compromised, we love him, but I'm thinking Albert Pujols not hitting home runs. Yeah, come on, Albert. It's been since, I think, May 22nd, and he's sitting there at 683. We want to see 700. We want to see it, and I think he'll get there, but come on. Let's pick it up. Does he play at Fenway against Waka? I would, because Waka's not the hardest thrower in the world Yeah, that's anymore. a good point. And all Albert has to do is hit a fly ball, right, over the green monster, yeah. and it's a home run. Maybe you get a couple this weekend, and we'll all feel a lot better. If he's 15 away, that sounds so much better than 17 and not having hit one in three weeks. Yes, it's a favorable ballpark for sure. But it feels like we've been sitting at 683 for a minute. We and have. I know I know he's he's gotten uh, some good juice on some. We thought he's been close. But I think we're due for an Albert Pujols home run. Agreed. So let's get it in Boston, Albert. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, Albert. We love you. Yeah. We really do. Yep. Matthew, what do we have in the text line? I'm sick of the price of everything going up. Uh, My coffee car- cartridges have gone up $4 since last week. How is everything so expensive? How how do they expect us to live? It is so expensive to strictly live. Matthew's raising his hand. Yes, Matthew. Uh, agreed. That's what it comes down to, ultimately. But here's the thing. Coffee cartridges, food. Ugh building supplies how are they delivered gas you got to have gas in the car to deliver stuff and those expenses go up and they get passed on to the consumer and annually i think we could look at the most profitable companies in america and probably exxon mobil and probably shell pretty much on a regular basis those fuel companies are the most uh, profitable companies in america so i would say that greed is a pretty good answer matthew uh, here's a very uh, unrelated text, 100% completely unrelated. I'm sick of hearing about the Live Golf League. If any golfer should be joining another league, they should be joining the PGT with Happy Gilmore and Shooter Ga- and Shooter McGavin. With you. Agreed. Sure, why not? Mm-hmm. And by the way, speaking of things being outrageously expensive, I try to eat healthy, you know. Um, so the other day I went to grab peanut butter and I went to grab kind of an organic almond butter. Guess how much money it was? How much? $16. Ooh. For peanut butter, for a jar of peanut butter. I was like, give me the Peter Pan, give me the Jif, whatever. We're not eating healthy today. $16 out of principle alone, I am not paying $16 for almond butter or peanut butter. By the way, Michelle, just uh, as an aside to what I said, without any knowledge whatsoever, but I did a quick Google search, uh, Shell Oil profits $9.1 billion. Earnings, I'm sorry, earnings, not profits. So earnings rose to $9.1 billion from $3.2 billion in the same period last year. There's why you're spending so much money. You know, you, you can blame whoever you want, but blame the people that are doing it to you. It's people like Shell, uh, BP, $6.2 billion profit so far this year. Uh, 
Exxon doubles profit from last year to $5.48 billion. That's a profit of 5.4. Chevron, $6.26 billion profit. Wow. There's where the greed lies. Phillips 66 adjusted earnings of only $595 million. So that's, a, that's not bad. But yeah. when somebody's making $9.1 billion and Michelle has to go and pay $16 for food. No, for peanut butter. For, for, peanut for butter, an accoutrement mall. For a condiment, right. essentially. Right. So that it, but it's because it costs so much to deliver stuff. So blame the oil companies, right, to them. i got to tell you. Thank- and we can't really, really boycott. No, we, we actually <laughs> cannot. Thank goodness that the Cardinals are good and that they're they're entertaining and that this is a fun mm-hmm. team because with the temps reaching triple digits, with people reaching triple digits to fill up their gas tank, with peanut butter being 16 mm-hmm. bucks, we got a lot to complain about. Yeah, so it's do. good a good thing that we have a fun Cardinals team to In watch. In the first place. Well, the good thing is this is a very compact city with a lot of really good public transportation routes, and so it's, it's not much of a problem here in St. Louis. 314, I'm sick of Pujols not getting the same going away party that Jeter received. Is he getting standing O's at every away ballpark and I'm just missing it? I think you're in a different you're in a different scenario altogether with Derek Jeter playing his entire career with the Yankees and Albert Pujols coming back for his last year with the Cardinals. Not that they shouldn't be awarding Albert great going away presents and Yachty too. Yachty actually I think is more deserving Agreed. than Albert. Yeah. But the Yankees are a different animal altogether. I am surprised though that it hasn't been Me this too. big grand fa- farewell tour for the both of them. Yeah. And maybe in the second half, maybe after the All-Star break, certainly our division rivals yeah. are going to honor those guys. But I would hope that when the Cardinals get to they're the long-time rivals. When you go out to L.A., for example, and they love him in L.A., but I, I would hope that uh, those franchises, let me just take a look at the, the second half schedule, would take it upon themselves to honor, well, the best right-handed hitter that we will ever see. Well, that's why I don't think just because he played in New York for the entirety of his career that Derek Jeter is in a different category than Albert Pujols well, or that Yadier Molina. because he's a Yankee. I, but I the think, Cardinals are one of the crown jewel franchises in all of sports. But, They're both multiple champions. Right. I mean, they, they have just as much cachet, I think, that Derek Jeter does. As players, they do. But as icons, they don't. Because if, if Albert played for the Yankees for his entire career, he would be getting the exact same treatment that Derek Jeter got. Well, I am sick of that, if that's the case, because, I mean, it, no disrespect to any other teams, but it's not like they're playing for the Rays. I mean, they're playing for the St. Louis Cardinals, who are one of the most storied franchises in all of baseball. Right. I, I don't disagree. I think they should be treated well, but I can understand why Jeter, Mr. November, that we saw in, what, every single postseason for his career, essentially, almost, I think that was literal, aside from 95, I mean, every single postseason, uh, Albert hadn't been in. He hasn't won a postseason game in ten years. hasn't played. We, we haven't seen him in October like we saw Jeter every single year. So I just think there's probably different levels. Jeter was the super, 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 superstar of the league. He was the face of baseball for a long time. So I think that's why. Not that it's right, again, but I think if I were to pick a reason, that's why. Well, it's now, disrespectful. Yeah, <laughs> if yeah. we're going to say that just because they've played in St. Louis that it's on, they're on a different tier. I mean, Yadier Molina hasn't played anywhere else, and how many times has he been in the postseason? And there's no doubt that Yadi should be regarded at an extraordinarily high level. Now, the Cardinals, uh, as they go on the road here, let's just take a look. So the rest of June... 
Uh, they're going to have this series at Boston. They're going to go to Milwaukee. Uh, did we already? We didn't already do L.A., did we? So they, they they go to Philly. They go to Atlanta. I would hope those two franchises would honor uh, both of those guys. They go to Washington. Washington better have a lot of respect for those guys, right? Uh, and then uh, at Arizona, when they go to the Cubs in September. So th- they'll get some, but you're right. It's not going to be every single team like it should have been. The Twins gave Mariano Rivera a rocking chair made out of broken bats. That's yeah. a two-level joke for a guy that never played for their friend that would like you know beat them a lot of times and ruined their fans' days a lot of times. And they did a two-level joke. One, mm-hmm. broken bats, and two, the fact that he was old. Where, like, come on, let's get a little depth here from from, from these yeah. teams with, with, with Pujols and Yai. We got two as well. Like Jeter and Mariano Rivera were getting it. Let's 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 step it up a little bit. Come on. And by the way, the Cardinals at L- San Diego and L.A. at the end of September twentieth, twenty first, twenty second at San Diego, and then the weekend of the twenty third through twenty fifth at L.A. Those two franchises are sure to honor those two Cardinal icons. So they'll get their rocking chairs and stuff. <laughs> and we're getting a lot of this. Just generally sick of the summer heat already. Yeah, I get that. But you know what? Embrace it. You live in St. Louis. It's part of the deal. You live here, it's going to be 100 degrees. But this is just brutal. Yeah, but the record for today is no, this 101 is, degrees this in This is like not 52. something that I will ever embrace. This is something that I will reluctantly endure because I love my city. But if someone comes in and they start trashing St. Louis weather, I'm not going to be the first to say, what? What are you talking about? St. Louis is the best. Like I would do with many other things. I'd be like, you're right. It's actually the worst. It's the, it is the worst. Michelle, one of the tenets of your livelihood is hashtag winter is stupid. Thank you. That's the worst. But that's my whole point, Randy, is that you're going to go from snowstorm to one perfect day in spring, and a lot of rain. Yeah. And then 100 degree heats for two weeks, temperatures for two weeks. So the way I'm looking at it is, I get on my bicycle and I just make my own little breeze. I hope you're hydrating, pal. I'm hydrating. Good. Yeah, a little golf today, and I'll be hydrating uh, out on the golf course. As the 630 points out, it's only June. If this was maybe August 1st, I could understand it. We're supposed to have better temps in mid-June. This is the time when I'm supposed to be able to go out to the golf course and not have to worry about sweating through my clothes. But that's not the case. If this is June, my shoes are going to melt to the pavement in August. <sighs> you kids these days. I remember having Back to then, walk we to didn't school. Have rubber shoes because the war uh, was taking it all. I had to walk to school in August when it was 115 degrees. Respect. And the, the, not only that, but I was up walking on the sidewalk where it was 130. Flag on the play. Flag on the play. Back in your day, didn't you not go back to school until after Labor Day? Were you walking to school no, in August? No, like my birthday's August 19th, and I was going to school on August like 22nd. Really? I thought yeah. it was all like post Labor Day that starts for a while. back back no, in the day. They changed it for a while, and wow. it was for tourism. It was so oh, people yeah, would go to exactly. the Ozarks over Labor Day. But then they changed it back, too. I thought that was literally changed in like the 80s or 90s. No. It was like, uh, well, when I was in school in the 70s. That's incredible that you were going to school in August. It was terrible. But you know what? It toughened me up. It did. The walking to school on the sidewalk when it was 115. Sometimes, Michelle, it was 125 degrees. Well, big ups to you, Randy, because I'm a wimp, okay? (laughs) I grew up in controlled air-conditioned temps. I am not... Video games. I am not... Well, I've never played video games in my life, but I am not built for this. I am not built... For this, you ever my generation Park? is weaker. <laughs> we are weaker. It's it's a slow atrophy from well, generation to generation, and the kids below me, they're weak as hell. And you know what? <laughs> Nothing wrong with embracing that either. You no, know, I, I mean I'm not even dissing them. We just can't do this. We have be, we have been in controlled environments. You never like played like a Mario Kart no, one day when you no, were like no. at some friends' houses. No, I, my friends played outside. 
Good for you. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it's 100 degrees, Michelle. We had, we, we, there's always a pool. Yeah. <laughs> that's Matthew. That's Michelle. Time I'm for rings or something, yeah. you know. Coming up next, it is Dad's Week here on 101 ESPN's Character and Smallman program. And we're going to visit with one of the great dads in St. Louis, one of the most successful sports dads. Big Walt is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We hear all week from fathers, also from athletes talking about their dads and how they father their kids. Okay, the key to being a good dad, look, sometimes things work out just the way you want. Sometimes they don't. You got to hang in there because when all is said and done, 90% of being a dad just showing up. It's a celebration for all sports fans, especially dads. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And one of our favorite dads in St. Louis is Keith Kachuk. His sons are in the NHL. His daughter is a star college athlete. And uh, Keith Kachuk, first of all, thanks for taking some time. And happy Father's Day. How are you doing? I appreciate it. Same to you. Uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty nice treat to be able to celebrate with your family on a day like this. Absolutely, Keith. Well, we just wrapped an interview with Mark McGuire, and he was talking about how watching his kids play sports is more nerve-wracking for him than anything he ever did when he was a professional athlete. Is it the same thing for you? Do you get more nervous watching your kids play than you did while you were playing? 100% agree with that. It really is. It's something you can't control. You know, dating back to when they were kids, you know, watching them play whatever, hockey, soccer, baseball, uh, field hockey, you know, you always had a pit in your stomach. And it gets even worse the older they get because you can't control anything. You can, when you're playing, you don't think of anything. You just go out and play. But when it's your kids, you're, you're terrified because you want to see them do well. You don't want to see them fail. And But then again, that's part of life. But that's what makes us uh, parents because we care about our kids. Has it gotten easier for you with Taryn at UVA, who's a, a great uh, athlete, a uh, uh, field hockey player, but Matthew, the oldest, and then Brady. Does it get any easier as you go down the line? You know, I, I you know, it, it's hard. You know, uh, you know, it's all high competitive stuff now. It's not like they're playing, you know, a parish game <laughs> down the street. On a, like a, this is this is big time, and for her, you know, obviously playing in the ACC, it's huge. You know, it's a little bit different there, but the, you know, because during the playoffs when I was watching Matthew play Dallas or Edmonton, it was terrifying. You know, you want to enjoy it, but it was really hard because the stakes were so high. So you're always a parent no matter how old they are. That's the, that's the bottom line. Keith, we, we also spoke about this with Mark, about seeing himself and his kids. When you watch Brady and Matthew play, do you see any of your game in them? Yeah, unfortunately I do. And, uh, <laughs> it's funny, you know, it's, some of the mannerisms, some of the things you – you know they're going to do, and they haven't quite done it yet, and they, they end up doing it, and you're like, okay, I knew he was going to do that. So, yeah, there's stuff that you see in both of them that is uh, kind of scary. <laughs> so I think my mom and dad could probably answer that better because they've seen both me do it and then their grandchildren do it. Well, what do you see in each of them? What's your skill set or, or something that was a part of your game that you see in each of them? The scary things. Yes, tell us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just, it's just the, the little things. Uh, the, the, you know, you can tell they're, they're getting in the middle of it and they have something to say. And, <laughs> and they both like playing that, you know, that below the dots kind of around the net and in your face causing trouble kind of thing. Walt, uh, 
I knew from the day that you came here, I, just seeing you in that dressing room and, and bringing those kids in, and then seeing uh, you'd take them out for a haircut, and I'd see you guys around. You love being a dad, don't you? Yeah, I do. I mean, this is what we live for. You know, we're very fortunate to be able to have children and have, you know, be able to, you know, spend time with them and retire at a young age where you get to see them grow up. So uh, it was important to me to bring them to the rink, all three of them, especially the boys when they, you know, had a day off from school or on a weekend to bring them down and let them be a part of it. And, you know, some things they remember, some things they don't. But, you know, it's important to, to spend time with your children. You want to see them you know, learn and grow up and, and, you know, act the right way in front of people. And uh, I thought it was important to be able to spend some quality time with them because, as you know, we're away quite a bit. So we do miss a lot, you know, next to the ordinary person that doesn't travel. So that's, that was a tough part. So when I was home, I wanted to be able to bring them down, bring them down to the rink and let them enjoy it. Keith, two young boys like that, I imagine there's a lot of high energy. They're excited to be around the team. Uh, did any mischief ever ensue? Did did Matthew and Brady ever get in any trouble while they were in the dressing room? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. They made a mess of the place. The first thing kids want to do when they go in the dressing room is to play knee hockey, but also to hit the fun stuff where there's bubble gum and different candies in there for the, and they would leave their wrappers everywhere so i'm sure the trainers weren't too happy but they had fun it was uh, you know when all the kids came in it was great after like an afternoon game and went in the locker room they had so much fun they didn't care who won the who won or lost our game they just wanted to have fun with each other so but they got they, they, they didn't get in too bad in trouble and Prongs talks about how how they would wrestle in, in the in the dressing room, which is great. Here you've got a blue note on the carpet at Center Ice in the in the Blues dressing room, and there the the Kachuk boys wrestling. Yeah, oh, that's great. There was, I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you. There was probably some you know puffy faces, some cuts on their faces, and you know that things happen. I mean, that's boys being boys, and uh, the guys got a kick out of that. So when we got a little bit too serious, I'd have to jump in. So now you're. You've got two grown-up kids. They're both in the NHL. But you get to the summer, and you play golf. Which one of those two, when you're playing against them, is the most competitive against you? Oh, I'd say Matthew's more competitive. Brady's more laid back on the golf course. They're both pretty good, and they hit the ball a hell of a lot farther, farther than I do. So that's a little bit frustrating. But, you know, we went on a trip together and uh, over to Scotland uh, a couple of years back before the pandemic, and it was the best time ever. We played a lot of good rounds, played a lot of good courses, had some fun. We had some matches. I got my butt kicked. Brady won a couple of days. Matthew won a couple of days. So uh, they both are, you know, they still, when they, when they go on the course, they're competitive. They want to win, but Matthew's probably a little bit more. Yeah, I wanted to ask you when you, when you reach that acceptance stage, okay, my, my kids are beating me and I'm not going to be able to beat them anymore. Do you remember how old they were? Uh, yeah, I mean, as soon as I got to high school and, <laughs> and uh, just past high school, they were probably better than me in golf, that's for sure. But uh, they're better than me in all sports now, so i got to pick it up and get my game back. <laughs> no doubt you will, Keith. Well, we know that there's a lot of similarities between Matthew and Brady, but what's the biggest difference between the two of them? Well, you know what, that's, that's a great question. Um um, you know, Matthew lives on his own now. Obviously, he's a very mature kid, very driven. Um, they're both, they both, I mean, the way they play, they're both similar, but, you know, they're both, uh, Matt Brady's a little bit more sensitive than Matthew, even though if you watch Brady play, he's a, he's a nut bag, he's a nut job out there. He wants to crush guys and kill guys. So what you see on the ice is not what you see off the ice with both of them. 
That's for sure. They're both great kids, and you know they both care about their 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 you know their siblings. They both care about their teammates, and you know they do a lot of things that are pretty similar. But uh, they're good kids, and you know we did a you know good job raising them. Mom was great, and that's why I'm glad we raised them here in St. Louis. It's such a great place to raise a family. And Keith, Keith, and Chuck with us on 101 ESPN. I think the the best thing that can be said about a pro athlete is when the equipment guys and the trainers are saying, "Man, what a great." guy he is to have on a team and that's all i hear from ottawa and calgary is the the guys behind the scenes really appreciate what your two sons are around the people that are, are not in uniform in the organization and that must make you really proud it does and you know that makes you feel really good because I, it was important to me um not just your teammates but you've got to treat everybody with respect and, and you got to care for everybody in your organization especially the guys that are working in the dressing room whether it's the trainers or just different personnel around the rink that are, that are there, you know, saying hello to them, checking on them, seeing how they're doing and taking care of them. And that was important to me. And I think it trickled down to the boys. And that means a lot. You know, they care about others, they're good teammates, and they have well respect in their dressing rooms. And that's, you know, that's more important right now than wins and losses for me. Keith, it was so fun watching you and Brady go support Matthew during the NHL playoffs. It was the whole family was there, was making headlines. It seemed like you guys had a really great time. Do you have one moment that stood out though during that time going and watching Matthew with your family? No, it was a great time. We had a, we had a blast. I mean, we spent it, it just felt like forever being together, and and, and uh, I don't know, we had a blast. It was whether it was in Dallas or. Up in Calgary, um, the fans really loved what Brady brought to the table. And it was fun watching him. Uh, you know, but I, I like to watch the game. I don't want to be, you know, I, I just like focusing on the game. And, you know, Brady had a good time. But the people the people loved it. He was getting into it. And it was a fun series. I just wish it didn't end against Edmonton. But uh, we had a blast following Matthew around. It looks so fun, Keith. Okay, final question for me, and this is kind of random, but when I was thinking about you and your family prepping for this interview, I'm thinking, wow, there's three really strong athletes in this family, plus you and your wife, and you have players that come through, Robert Thomas. I mean, we we know that it's always a lively environment at the Kachuk household. You guys must go through groceries like crazy. How many times are you guys going to the grocery store per week to feed all of these athletes? (laughs) Well, it's a lot. I mean, Brady, Brady still lives with us. Matthew's down the road, but Matthew drops in the house every time. <laughs> so we're making protein shakes. We're making all healthy food now. And, you know, they go through a lot. There's no question about it. They, they, Brady's only 22, and he's still growing, it feels like. And Matthew's only 24. So these guys are going through a lot. And, of, of course, we're still paying for everything. So <laughs> it's weird when both your boys are making more money than you and you're still taking care of them. But that's what parents do, I guess. <laughs> right. Hey, Big Wall, one more thing. And I know that when you're driving around, you occasionally listen to this station and every single show talks about your family, whether it's Matthew coming to St. Louis or Brady eventually coming to St. Louis. Uh, the the fact that they're so ingrained in the in the St. Louis community and people care about them, how, how does that make Dad Keith Kachuk feel about how interested St. Louis is in your family? Well, they're doing something right, but you know this is their home. This is where all their buddies are. I mean, they they know so many people. This is a it's a great tight you know knit community, and everybody knows what everybody's doing, and everybody's following the boys besides following the, the Blues and. Maybe someday it'll happen, but it's it's great to know that the boys are you know wanted, and uh, I'm sure at some point they'd love to play, 
here, but at the same time, they still love playing where they're playing. They're they're great in the community up there, and this will always be home. But who knows at some point what will happen. And then last thing, Brady or Matthew or Taryn, who's going to sizzle up the best steak for Keith Kachuk on Father's Day? <laughs> oh, neither. They're all useless when it comes to that. We take care of them. They don't take care of us. But if I had a guess, it would be Brady. But you're the one then. It's it's Keith is putting the yeah. steak on the grill. Yeah, yeah. Chantel or myself. But if it was had to be one of the kids, it'd be Brady. All right. Hey, happy Father's Day. Always great to talk to you, Keith. Thanks so much for the time, and we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. See you later. Thanks, Keith. Happy Father's Bye. Day. Yep, thanks. Big Walt with us on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Randy, Matthew with you. Coming up, take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 657804 Tioli on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Michelle Smallman, Matthew Rocchio, Randy Carricker, and time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Last night, Michelle, a night after the Cardinals' Miles Michaelis had taken a no-hitter into the ninth, Tyler Anderson of the Dodgers took a no-hitter into the ninth. He got one out before Shohei Otani tripled, but Anderson did improve to 8-0 and on the season, joining his fellow Dodgers starter, Tony Gonsolin, at 8-0. and Take it or leave it. Even with Walker Bueller out, the Dodgers have nothing to worry about. I'll take that. They, they're ridiculous. They are ridiculous. They'll find a way. Yeah, and, and Kershaw's off to, uh, despite the injury, he's 4-1. and one. So you've got three starters there that are uh, a total of 20-1 and one among them. Pretty good. Ridiculous. Yeah. They are a machine. They yeah, just they, they've keep got it going. plugging in cogs and, and it works out. Tyler Anderson's 32 years old and has never done anything like this at the major league level. So talk about a machine, they're able to fix guys and make them good parts of the machine too. And because they're a big market team and they go out and get guys like Mookie Betts and sign them to monster deals, we all want to look at them and say, oh, well, they're buying all their players. They're actually drafting and developing guys too. A lot of these guys are internal. They have a really good process going. It's actually... the. If you took the money out of it, it's the best process in baseball because they did have to give up prospects to go get Mookie Betts. Granted, they gave him the extension, right? But the only big, really big money free agent they've signed since Andrew Friedman got there is Trevor Bauer, who's not even pitching. Oh, no, exactly. Yeah, but that's what we want to think about an LA team, mm-hmm. a big market. They're going to go out there and collect stars. No, actually, most of them are homegrown. Yep, they're doing it the right way. Yeah, which makes you hate them even more. Yep. <laughs> No doubt. So, Randy, I was working on a Father's Day playlist last night, just trying to put together a bunch of great dad jams for mm-hmm. the Smallman Open on Sunday, the little-known fifth major. Uh, my <laughs> faction of the Smallmans trying to regain our title that we held for four years. Such a disappointment last year. Oh, it really was. But you know what? N- not even Tom Brady can win every year. That's true. You got to give people some hope. Yeah, the other team's trying, too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um But take it or leave it, the greatest dad song of all time has to be something by Journey. Hmm. I was thinking maybe Allman Brothers, Steely Dan, 
yes, I bet is thrown into the mix there. But when you think of a dad, you kind of think of Journey, right? I think that's legit. I, th- I can go with that, yeah. 65780, what's the most dad song out there? Aside from Buddy the Elf's dad song. That's a great dad song. Yeah. But you know, that's not a real... I'm not thinking real song, of like right. what a dad would throw on to mow the lawn. Right. Like if a dad is thrown in the AirPods... Actually, he probably has over-the-ear headphones. Yeah, I, I would say... But I, what, what, what's so going on? Your dad, somebody my age, we're, we're talking Journey, we're talking REO Speedwagon. REO Speedwagon's another good one. Yeah. Um, you know, from around here, have you ever heard of Head East? No. That was a, that was a uh, Missouri-based band. Really? Yeah. So Were cool. they great? They were terrific, yeah. Gotta listen to them. Yeah. I'll throw it on the playlist. There you go. Good. Yeah, so... Yeah, from from our era though, I think Journey is a, a really good. You know who who else was great was Boston. Oh yeah, for sure. Chicago as well. Mm-hmm, yeah, throwing so all the city it, bands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I'm going to take that, Matthew. What do we got on the text line? Take it or leave it. Ooh, this is going to be tough for Michelle. Take it or leave it. Hmm. You would let David Prawn walk. No. If you leave were it. guaranteed Matthew Kachuk long term. I'm sorry, I'm leaving it. Whoa! I'm honestly kind of shocked. Was well, Matthew Kachuk going to come on the show weekly? Yeah. <laughs> if I change it to that parameter. I don't know, you guys. I just love me some DP57. And not only because he's a friend of the show, friend in life. He is so much of what the Blues identity is. Mm-hmm. He is such a leader. And he's playing his best hockey right now. And yes, Matthew Kachuk is younger and you'd be getting... I, I just want to be selfish and greedy and have them both, is what I'm saying. I like the idea. But I'm going to go all Doug Armstrong on you and this, take it. I, I have to be cold and unemotional here. This is why I'm not a GM, because mm-hmm. I could never let David Prawn walk. David Prawn will be playing into his 50s, because I'd be like, we love you, kid. Yep. Keep up yeah. the good work. Well, <laughs> hey, that's why, and as much as we love the guys, and we'll see them coming up in August, but that's why one of the reasons the Rams weren't able to s- sustain excellence here. One of the reasons was that they couldn't draft anybody, and then by 2010, they didn't want to win. But they fell in love with the greatest show on turf, guys, and they kept them around and gave them long-term contracts well into their 30s. And you just can't win in sports that way. I think the biggest example to me of how Doug Armstrong is able to compartmentalize his emotions and be so successful is David Backus. Because how Mm -hmm. many of us in that role would have been able to say no to David Backus, who had been such a great blue. And we all assumed if anybody was going to be the first one to hoist the cup, it would be that guy. And Army drew a line and he said, okay, I I can't go over this line in terms of term before the player. Yeah. And that's why he's the greatest. Yep. Take it or leave it. If the O's leave Baltimore, they should follow the Colts to Indy. Leave it. Why would they leave Baltimore? Yeah, they're t- it's a thing right now. Their owner said that they're not going anywhere because the, one of the sons is trying to sue the other son to try to get control. Family drama. I'm saying if I'm going to follow in the footsteps of Greg Amsinger. If they're going to leave, come here, get renamed the Browns, and go out and play in O'Fallon Mo. So two St. Louis baseball teams? We're the one of the markets that could really do it. Well, here's my question. Yes, we all show up for sports in St. Louis, but how many people are going to leave their Cardinal fandom to support a new baseball team? Be fans of both. But think of how many people you have in St. Charles County that would support a baseball team that don't want to drive to the city of St. Louis. Yeah, that's a good point. I just know that 
you know, for, for most people in St. Louis, the Cardinals are like a member right. of their family. They have undying loyalty to them. Right. So that would be hard to yeah, accept we... another baseball team, which is why if an NBA team and if, and if an NFL team came, we know that we would pour our love into them. But we don't have to choose between two different teams. That's a good thing. Yes. Take it, take it or leave. The Cardinals should retire Joe Medwick's number. Number seven. Uh, Andrew Kisner, Matt Holiday, Red T. Smith. Uh, Listen, just how often I come across his name when I'm trying to make Cardinal trivia questions. Joe Medwick? And it's like the, the amount of times that it's either Stan Musial, Rogers, yep. Hornsby, or randomly Joe Medwick's the answer. It's so many times I got to think that he should be at least, he's got to be darn close to being in consideration. It's he should be. One of the really unanswerable questions for the Cardinals as to why number seven has not been retired. But I'm going to leave it. Perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today. It's 8.05 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The U.S. Open is underway. And Brooks Kepke yesterday said, Michelle, that... Uh, he's really frustrated with the media because they have overshadowed the U.S. Open with all of their questions about LIV. And by the way, Kepka's mm-hmm. brother plays in LIV. And I, I can see his point, but at the same time, LIV is a major story to be covered. And I can see the point of the golf media that's there as well. What do you think? Do you think that the media is doing the tournament wrong by discussing and asking questions about LIV. No, because in addition to covering the tournament, if you're a journalist covering golf, your job is to talk about the news in the sport. And live golf is the biggest thing that's happened mm-hmm. to golf in a long time. And it's caused a lot of consternation. It's a very charged and polarizing topic. So, of course, people in the media are going to be asking golfers about this at the U.S. Open. It's They're not doing their jobs if they're not asking about it, in my opinion. Rory McIlroy has kind of become the spokesman for the PGA Tour players, and he's never shy about talking how great his tour is. I think every year it gets harder and harder to win on the PGA Tour, so um, any win that comes along is really special, you know, especially going up against guys like JT and Tony in that final round, and you know, you had Sam Burns making a run as well, who's on a who's on a heater at the minute, so um, yeah, the, the depth of talent sort of just gets deeper and deeper every year, and, and that makes winning a little more difficult, and any time a win comes along, it's a, it's a big deal. Here, everything he's saying is about talent and about mm-hmm. winning and about competition, and that's why it's so great. And he clearly takes a lot, a lot of pride in that, which is a not-so-subtle shot at guys who are going to live because they just want to secure the bag. And those guys... Many of them are in their 40s, and winning is getting more and more difficult for them. So why not go take the money? Sure. And that's that's what they're doing. Now, you could also make the argument, well, look at who they're getting the money from. Now, Rory is asked about the Live Tour all the time, even though he hasn't gone there and has really never even considered going there. I get thrown in front of a camera more than most out here, so I'm inevitably going to get questions about it. Uh, and I try to answer them the best I can. Uh, I, I try to share my point of view and my opinion with, with also trying to be somewhat understanding and respectful of, of the other side of the argument and the guys that have went. So it's a tough, tough act to try to balance, but I, I do the best I can. I think 
people that you like can do unsavory or uh, not the right thing. And my guess is that Rory has a lot of friends that have gone to that tour, but he's he won't condone going to that tour, whether it's because of the fact that it's financed by the Saudis or because they're leaving for a lesser tour and they are giving up on the competition of the PGA Tour. I thought I think that he's done a really great job of speaking out about this without being disrespectful, disrespectful, but also being very pointed and very transparent about how he feels because there's a fine line to walk there because he still probably does, as you mentioned, know a lot of these guys have relationships with these guys and he's making it clear that he does not condone their decision while also saying that he wants to be respectful of their choice, which I think is kind of the perfect answer if you're Rory McIlroy. Even though I'm sure privately he probably has harsher words for some of the guys that chose to jump over to live. Now, the main guy that has jumped over to live is Phil Mickelson. He's won six majors. He's It was Phil and Tiger, Tiger and Phil. He was on the match. He was always in the hunt in majors. And now... Not only is he playing in a major, he's playing in the U.S. Open, where he's choked a lot. And he's playing in the U.S. Open in Boston, where they have a tendency to be somewhat jingoistic. So what sort of a reaction does Phil expect this week at Brookline? I think the Boston crowds are some of the best in sports. And I think that they have uh, given me a lot of support. I'm very appreciative appreciative of that over the years. And... I think that their their uh, excitement and energy is what creates such a great atmosphere. So, um, whether it's positive or negative towards me directly, I, I think it's going to provide an incredible atmosphere to hold this championship. I think it's going to be um, a great event, and the people here have a lot to do with that. You got to play to the crowd if you're Phil, but he's going to get booed vociferously today and tomorrow, and the odds of him making the cut. Are virtually nil. Yeah, I would be surprised if he did get any support from the crowd. No, as he mentioned that they use that they've supported him in the past. I would be shocked if that's the case this time around. And what a bummer because he was popular. He embraced social media. Lefty. Yeah, and people loved him putting up on Instagram or Twitter. I'm going to go out and hit bombs today. And now he's kind of become, at least in that regard, the face of live and for a lot of people golf enemy number one it is interesting that you say that because he he took and continues to absorb much of the heat from this it seems like people were more disappointed in phil mickelson deciding to do this first than they have been with dustin johnson or patrick reed or bryson DeChambeau. Mm-hmm. even though dj has won and even though bryson DeChambeau is one of the the new up-and-coming characters in golf it seems like people aren't disappointed that they right. chose to do this and the manner in which they are when it comes to phil and i think there's three reasons number one phil was so popular Number two, Phil did call these people that he's working for scary blanker blankers. Yes, he did. And number three, he essentially wrote, co-wrote, he was involved with the the constitution of Live Golf. He was there on the ground floor. The other guys just went for the money. Now, not that he didn't go for the money. He's getting $200 million. But the fact that he was one of the people that started this, I think for hardcore golf fans, they look at that too. 
the first person is always going yeah. to catch catch the most strays, right. right? That's just how it's going to happen. But I also think because of his place in golf and because he's been one of the guys who's even been in the conversation with Tiger for so long, that leads your expectations of that person to be a little bit higher. Whether that's fair or unfair is a whole other conversation. But I think that as a collective, we just expected more from Phil than maybe we would have some of these other guys who've decided to jump over there. And it'll be interesting, and Alan Shipnick's book is out uh, pointing out that Phil did lose $40 million in gambling. At the end of the day, I'll be really interested to see why, what the main reason was for him leaving. Did he need this money? Did he feel like that he could... He, he says that he wants to expand golf globally. Is that the real reason? I'll, I'll be interested, and it'll come out eventually, yes. the, the main core reason that Phil has done this. Would that change your opinion of his decision at all? If he came out and he did a sit-down with, with Bob Costas or somebody and said, listen, I'm broke. I'm, I have a major gambling addiction, and it's something that it's been plaguing me for years. I'm working on it, but this is what I needed to do to get myself back to where I needed to be financially. Did I want to make this choice? No. Did I need to? Yes. Would that, ch- and obviously I'm yeah. just spitballing here, would that no. change your opinion if he came out and said, my money motivator here was because of issues that I had in the past, not because I just wanted to have a cash grab? Yeah, it would. Now, he's still taking money from people that have committed heinous uh, human rights violations. He's he's still doing that, but if you just boil it down to a personal level, yeah, that would change my opinion a little bit. How about you? I think I would. I it would change my opinion just because I would appreciate him being so so forthcoming. Because mm-hmm. there is there has been uh, the rumors and stories about the situation right. that he's been dealing with, and. Not that it would change the way that I feel about it from a justification standpoint, but I think it might give us a little bit more insight into the thought process as to why you would even want to do something like this. Phil tees off in Boston at 1147 through five holes. Rory is even today. The leaders are Colin Morikawa, Russell Henley, and Matthew Neesmith. They're all two under. Uh, Neesmith threw eight, Morikawa threw seven, and Russell Henley threw four at Brookline in Boston. Coming up, there's a dad that's got a son who's got a big game tonight, and he's going to join us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Efforting Justin Tatum, the head coach at CBC, and the father of Jason Tatum, who plays tonight in NBA Finals Game 6. And you can hear the action with the pregame at 7 o'clock here on 101 ESPN. And Michelle, one thing that I've noticed with the people that are covering the sport on a national basis is that they want to make a judgment about Jason Tatum, whether he wins or loses this series. And... I look around and I see that LeBron, uh, Jason's 24. LeBron was 24 when he made his first finals and and lost. Michael Jordan made his first finals when he was 27 years old and didn't win until then. And those are arguably the two greatest players that have ever played the sport. I'm willing to let a career and a life breathe 
and let it get beyond 24 before I'm ready to make a judgment about the veracity and quality of a player's postseason career. Jason's in an interesting spot because if he loses these finals, I think a lot of people will say, well, he is only 24 and he's accomplished so much and look at all the stars he beat en route to the finals. He's certainly exerted himself as one of the faces of the NBA, one of the superstars in this league and taken another massive step forward by being in the finals. But if he does win, Randy, if he comes back and beats the Warriors, this is a complete narrative changer. This is a complete, obviously, if you win the NBA finals, it's going to change the trajectory of your career but Mm -hmm. I think he's in a really good spot because of his age and because of the place that he's at in his career already having accomplished so much at such a young age I would say so and by the way the guy he's playing against tonight and everybody went like LeBron never went to college so all of these you have to kind of take with a grain of salt but when you look at the age of the player Steph Curry never played in a finals until he was 26 years old so when you look at where he is and how much time he has left there's plenty of time for him to win and I would argue that carrying a team to the finals is more significant and I think we can all agree that he is the centerpiece guy right Mm -hmm. for the Celtics he's the face yeah Kevin Durant is the best player in the world right now. But Kevin Durant has never carried a team to the finals. He's, you know, he, he was there with... Uh, you mean his supporting cast right, was, was was much more involved? Was really good. Now, that team that he went to the finals with, with Oklahoma City, he was the best player, but he didn't carry that team. Clearly, the way LeBron has done in the past. Too. Right. Yeah. No doubt. And when you look at the... And Durant won a couple of finals MVPs with Golden State. Really good player. But didn't have to carry anything. You had such an incredible supporting cast around with Steph and Clay and, and Green. So I think you could make the argument that taking nothing away from Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, but I think you could make the argument that what Jason Tatum is doing at the age of 24 is more impressive than what aside from obviously being on the Olympic team, the best player on the Olympic team. But in terms of what he's done in the NBA, what Tatum has done, you can say, is more impressive than what Durant did at the same time or up until he got to Golden State. Now, does it change your opinion? Or Let me rephrase, because I know how you feel about Jason Tatum, Mm -hmm. and I know it will not change your opinion. Do you think nationally, if they get punched out tonight, they lose the finals in Game 6, and he doesn't have an awesome game, that the narrative might change? Because even though he's been so great in the run-up to the finals, Mm -hmm. I think he would even be the first one to tell you that his performance during the finals hasn't necessarily been what he expects of himself or what we expected of him with the turnovers and things like that. So do you think if, if he has another game like that tonight, that his finals performance could change the narrative around him? A hundred percent. Because people just don't want to let a career breathe, right? They're, the, the interest here is to have the hot take the day after and to make that judgment immediately about the guy. How's this going to affect his life? People are, st- are still asking how a game is going to affect LeBron James' legacy. Oh, Randy, we need legacy talk like we need air to breathe. Right. It is what sustains us. We live for a legacy, a legacy debate as a society. And I would say that, number one, LeBron James' legacy isn't going to change. He's one of the two best players of all time. I think it's pretty cemented. And there's plenty of time 
for Jason Tatum to develop a legacy. LeBron James lost his first finals at the age of 24. And look at what he's been able to accomplish. I don't think that Jason Tatum is going to be there with Michael and LeBron as one of the best players of all time. But could he be the guy that helps the Celtics win three or four titles? Absolutely. And to me, that cements a legacy, not losing a finals to one of the greatest teams ever at the age of 24. But the legacy conversation is always there, and it is always evolving. Steph Curry is one of the best players we've ever seen play this game. He actually changed the game of basketball. He's won multiple championships, and the conversation surrounding Steph Curry right now is, does he need to win a finals MVP to be one of the all-time greats? That's what people are right. saying about Steph. Are. He's never won a finals MVP. Can we really talk about him in the same era as some of these other guys if he doesn't get that? As if what he's accomplished already is not enough. So, so of course, people are going to yeah. have that conversation about Jason Tatum, right. who hasn't been there or done the things that Steph has. People are going to look at these finals if he loses tonight and say, hmm, to, to be one of the faces of the league, you got to get it done in the finals. And well, Jason Tatum didn't do it. That's what is yeah, the right. conversation is going to be. And my question for those people would be a, a quick and simple retort. So you're telling me that Andre Iguodala is, <laughs> uh, has a greater legacy than Steph Curry because he won point. a finals MVP? And that's the only rebuttal you need. <laughs> right, exactly. That's the only rebuttal yeah. you need, because who's going to say, well, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman. Coming up, we've got the fight coming your way here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the on character and small men. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carriker. Time for the Thursday edition of the fight here on Character and Smallman. Let's welcome in Randy's challenger. Garrett is with us here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Garrett. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for asking. Garrett, where are you calling from? Where do you, where do you live? Uh, I live in uh, Trenton, Illinois. Oh, shout out to my Illside peeps. I love that. Yeah, 618. 618. So you know that I am cheering for you, Garrett. Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Are you ready to take on Randy? Yeah, let's go. All right, good luck to you. Question number one for Garrett, a 618er. Who is the active Major League Baseball leader for stolen bases? Active leader for stolen bases. Is it Billy Hamilton, D. Gordon Strange, or Jose Altuve? Uh, Billy Hamilton. Happy birthday to lefty Phil Mickelson. <laughs> Great H- birthday present earlier today in the conversation H- about him. Phil. How many majors <laughs> has Phil won in his career? Four, six, or eight? Six. Garrett, when Ben Hogan won the 1948 PGA Championship at Norwood Hills, he won it in the third hole of a playoff. Which hole on the course did he win it on? 18, 3, or 11? Uh, Let's go with 11. And on this day in 1978, which Cincinnati Red no-hit the St. Louis Cardinals? Was that Jim Maloney, Fred Norman, or Tom Seaver? Ooh, um, 
Uh, let's go with Tom Seaver. Score has been confirmed, and we're waving in Randy. Garrett, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, 41. So you certainly remember that 1948 PGA Championship. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a pretty easy one. <laughs> I'm sure. Randy will probably know. Randy, say good morning to Garrett. Garrett, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing well. Good morning, Randy. Hey, great to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Yeah, thank you. Randy, are you ready to go, sir? I'm ready. Question number one for Megamind. Who is the active Major League Baseball leader for stolen bases? Hmm. Good question. Um, Okay. So it's got to be a guy that's playing in the Major Leagues with a Major League team at the moment, right? Yeah. Correct. So that, uh, I think, eliminates Billy Hamilton from the list because I don't think he's on a roster at the moment. Um, so, uh, who's else? Who's bouncing around? Um, hmm. Let's see. Is you, the, the two guys, I think the two guys that are, um, that I'm thinking of are both in the minors right now. Um, so I'll do the lifeline here. I, so if are we can are, are we saying that if he's active in how, how are we doing this? If he's active in minor league baseball, is that does that count? I mean, uh, I I'm unsure. <laughs> Hang on. Okay. We'll vamp here for a second. He has gotten at bats at the major league level this year. There you go. Okay. Um, so you've got uh, it's Hamilton or Gordon I'm going to go with D. Gordon Happy birthday to lefty Phil Mickelson How many majors has he won? Six Randy, when Ben Hogan won the 1948 PGA Championship at Norwood Hills he won it on the third hole of a playoff Which hole on the course did he win it on? Very good question it's a stupid question, but it's it's good. Um, so I got to do the lifeline because I have no idea. 18, 3, or 11? I'll say that... Uh, let's see. Um, coming back in is a, a pretty good hole. I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to say... They probably didn't have, well, yeah, they didn't, They weren't driving guys out with carts at that. I'll go with 18. Good, but stupid. That's right in my personal wheelhouse. That's what I'm going for in life. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> On this day in 1978, which Cincinnati Red no hit the Cardinals? Uh, got George Hendrick for the final out. It was Tom Seaver. One of my dad's favorite athletes of all time. Mm. All right. Garrett and Randy, you both got three correct. Good fight from both of you, which means we're headed to the tiebreaker round. Here's how this is going to work, Garrett. I will read the tiebreaker question. Randy will write his answer down on likely a notepad today. Yeah. We're going to give you, he will show it to me. We'll give you first crack at it. About 10 seconds to give us your answer. Then Randy will reveal what he had written down. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Even though if you both get it on the nose, then we'll have to go to a double tiebreaker. But that's very rare. So, Garrett, are you ready to go? Yeah. Randy, are you ready to go? I'm ready. I got my Sharpie. Oh, Sharpie day for Randy. Mm -hmm. Watch out, Garrett. All right. 
Tiebreaker question is this, gentlemen. How many total PGA Tour wins does does Phil Mickelson have? How many total PGA Tour wins does Phil Mickelson have? Oh, another golf. Um, <laughs> let's go with uh, 22. Garrett says 22. Randy, your answer is? 52. One of you is closer to the pin. Is it Randy or is it Garrett? Matt, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by High and Dry Foundation Repair, home of the non-commission-based sales force and hassle-free warranty. Oh, sorry. Just win, baby. <laughs> I'm sure you're so sorry that you forgot to fire up the sounder. Garrett, great fight out of you. I'm sorry. Randy was closest to the pin on this one. So D. Gordon is the active MLB leader for stolen bases. Lefty Phil Mickelson, HBD to you. I wonder how is he how he's celebrating. Buying a private jet, buying an island, who knows? Uh betting on the Celtics? Yeah. Maybe. Helping bury a body. Playing a little mm-hmm. golf. <laughs> He's won six majors. Lefty has won six majors in his career. When Ben Hogan won the 1948 PGA Championship at Norwood Hills, Randy, you remember that well. Of course you do. Mm -hmm. He won it on the third hole of a playoff. He won it on hole 11. Hmm. Weird. Garrett got that one correct, just so you know. On this day in 1978, Tom Seaver... He was a Cincinnati Red. He no-hit the Cardinals. You both got three correct, which took us to the tiebreaker round. The question was this. How many total PGA Tour wins does Phil Mickelson have? Garrett guessed 22. Randy guessed 52. The correct answer, boys, is 45. Hmm. 45 PGA Tour wins for Phil. Garrett, great fight. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing, and have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Garrett. We really do appreciate you listening and uh, being a part of the show. Randy, how did it go yesterday when you went home after Patrick Carricker, your son, beat you on the fight yesterday? I didn't talk to him. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Total silent treatment. Total. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't spoken to him since. Did you give him a look? That said, how dare you? No, no I'm, I'm not even going to look at him. You're just blinders on, yeah, totally. Not, He's a ghost as far as you're concerned. Yep, I'm not giving wow. him that satisfaction. So when does that get lifted? How long is the ban? Depends on what he gives me for Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> so Sunday will determine. Yeah. This and might be a week or more. Wow. Just, okay. So this is going to be hard for you to dodge him for the next couple days. That's a hassle. Just based off <laughs> of an kid. earlier question from an earlier interview, I'll say, uh, make a nice steak, Patrick. There you go. Hey, don't forget, you can download the 101 ESPN app and win cool stuff. How about a chance to win $1,000? That's right. What? Yep. You can also win a Traeger grill. You can win a rolling Yeti cooler. You could win a signed Ryan O'Reilly Blues jersey and much, much more. Now, if you already have the app, make sure to check out the reward section to see all the giveaways. If you don't have it yet, download it and get registered so that you can win cool things. All the contests are going on right now on the 101 mobile app. And the reason that we bring this up is because we're competing against other stations here in the building. We're competing against the 105.7 people. Uh, Michelle rolled her eyes, and I agree 100%. We're, we compete against them every day. We're trying to compete against Chris Convey and the, and the Courtney show. <laughs> no competition. Yeah, there you go. And our friends at uh, WIL, uh, they're, they're doing great. And then right next door to us, Casey, you man, is there. And they've got an app, but it's not as cool as ours. No. So... Here's the thing. You want to download the app. You want to sign up for the app. You want to win cool stuff. And you want to help Randy and Michelle win. So I'm pulling up our app right now. 
beautiful interface. First mm-hmm. thing that pops up when you open the app, win $1,000 in cash. So go for it. What's better than that? You get some great sports content. If you miss any of the show, you can go on the 101 ESPN app, listen to the podcast, listen to all of the shows, stream things live. And first thing that prompts you is that you could win a grand. And hey, let's be honest here. We're bringing you great free content every single morning. You can do something for us. I like to think of us as a little family. We all spend our mornings together. That's a big deal. You know, we wake up when we start our our day together talking about the games. We don't ask for much. We're asking you for this because we want to shove it in the Riz Show's face that we, we beat them. Yeah. And uh, so as we are all family, just we've got your back. We hope that you have ours. Download the app and prove it. And if you don't, Randy will likely never speak to you again like he's icing out his son. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk some blues hockey, some NHL hockey, some Stanley Cup hockey with our friend Jeremy Rutherford, our blues insider from The Athletic, who joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic with us on 101 ESPN. Is there anything more ridiculous than having a playoff on an 11th hole? <laughs> no, that is uh, pretty ridiculous. I uh, I was with Thank you on that one, Aaron. Randy. Thank you very much. So, what did you think of the question? Oh, I laughed out loud when you said <laughs> it was a good, stupid question. Really, <laughs> it is. It's a good. It's very d- good. It's very difficult, but it's also stupid. <laughs> okay, Jared. I gotta give uh, Go Rock ahead. some credit though. He's, he's Rock's done pretty, really good, I think, with the uh, with the fight question. Definitely, overall. absolutely, he has. It's very hard to come up with these questions. As a former producer of Randy who had to develop the fight, it's very difficult to come up with things that could stump Randy that are also topical. That's why Randy that's why Randy's so disappointed in me today. (laughs) (laughs) Just uh, Just angry. Staying away from those WNBA questions. I can hear Randy's voice when those pop in. Yeah, let's (laughs) never forget. Um, speaking of uh, good but dumb questions, I have one for you because we were talking about this earlier in the show. You might have heard it. We all want David Perron to come back to the blues but we know that they're potentially thinking long-term about Matthew Kachuk. Could David Perron be a casualty of the Blues' quest to get Matthew Kachuk? I suppose, but I think, uh, gosh, it's so hard to look in the future when you're doing those things because what if you do set the table uh, and then it, for Matthew Kachuk and then it doesn't come to fruition? You know, who are the casualties? Could they have helped you out? You know, the Blues, I think if you're – Looking into the future in terms of uh, winning, then maybe you can plan like that. Like, let's say you're in Arizona and, and you're, you're setting up for a couple of years from now. But when you're the Blues and you're trying to win now, if you let David Perron go because you think you can bring in a Matthew Kachuk and then, you know, he doesn't happen or plan B doesn't happen, it's a tough spot. To me, I think Doug Armstrong has always been pretty consistent with sticking with the guys he know can get the job done. And David Perron is definitely one of those guys. And David Perron... Obviously, based on his performance, deserves more than what he made in his last contract. But with the Blues salary cap situation such as it is, they might not be able to give him that raise, correct? Correct. And I think David Prawn would come back uh, less than what his market value is, less than what he could get on the free agent market. 
but not less in terms of you know what he feels like he, he's worth and, and what he's produced the past couple of years. So he definitely wants to finish in St. Louis. He definitely wants to come back, but you can't get David Perron you know, for a few million dollars, uh, I, I don't think. So I think that you're probably going to have to give him at least two years, and I think if you did give him three years, you could get that down to you know, $4 million perhaps, uh, maybe even a little bit less, as, as, as I've kind of speculated. Uh, but I don't think that you can get him cheaper than that, is my point. And by the way, I would go, uh, sitting here way on the outside looking in, if it's three years at $4 million a year, I'm doing that today. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, I think if you, you get closer to free agency, maybe he would even go a little bit lower than that. But I, I don't think it's necessary on his part he, because he could get, you know, four and a half, five in free agency. Uh, but I'm with you, Randy, on that. Just the way he's produced. I looked it up the other day on this current contract that he's wrapping up. It's a four-year deal. We all know he got paid $4 million. Uh, He's 200-plus points in about 250 games. So not quite a point-per-game player over the life of the contract, but pretty darn close. And, and he's definitely – you could look at it, Randy and Michelle, like he's been uh, underpaid the last four years. Yeah, for sure, JR. Well, another great Doug Armstrong acquisition was Nick Letty. He was a good fit for the Blues after being acquired by the team at the trade deadline. I know that they've expressed some interest in bringing Nick Letty back. Do you think they will, in fact, do so? So, yeah, at the exit interviews, they did say that uh, they love Nick Letty. Uh, They'd like to bring him back. I think Nick is kind of on record saying he uh, felt it was a really good fit, but it's going to come down to the money. And the one thing that I've been saying is he's only one, he's only 31 years old. And and so it's not like he's 34 and this is the last two year deal of his career and he's done. You know, this is a situation where, you know, if Nick Letty did want to go into the free agent market, you're looking at about four to five years and you're looking at about, uh, $5 million minimum, maybe a little bit less on the AAV. Well, that's definitely, to me, it's, it's out of the Blues price range. You know, they could probably go out and find a defenseman who could help them and not have to give up, you know, a, a four, five-year contract with a $5 million AAV. You know, I think Nick Letty showed us in the playoffs what he can do. I, I think he could fit well with this uh, defense, but I just think with the Blues cap situation, um, it, would, it would be tough to bring him in on that. Now, the thing is, will he take less to stay? He is only 31 years old, but if he's at a point in his career where he feels like winning is more important, then he can say, hey, you know, put me with Justin Falk. I'll play for $4 million for the next couple of years. And, you know, if that's the case, perhaps they could fit him, but it just looks uh, tough right now to get him in the fold. JR, it, presuming both Krug and Perunovic are healthy, can a team succeed in the NHL these days with two smallish defensemen on the left side getting a lot of minutes? Now, obviously, Mikola will be part of the mix as well. But can can a team succeed? I guess we look at Colorado, right? They've got Samuel Girard and, and uh, number eight. McCarr, uh, yeah. Yeah, McCarr. McCarr uh-huh. yeah. Now, he, he's a transcendent player. But could, could a team get by... The Blues get by and succeed at a high level with Krug and Perunovic both getting a lot of minutes on the left side. I think it's possible, uh, but I, I just think that it probably doesn't work. You know, if both players are playing well and they're both getting the puck up and you know, eluding hits and the Blues are playing a good transition game and, and both guys are putting up points, then I think it can work. But realistically, you know, Krug's not going to play in your top pair, so he's a second-pair guy. Uh, with Justin Falk, most likely, you know, then are you putting Prinovich in the third pair? Are they both trying to quarterback the power play? I guess you could put one on the top unit and one on the second unit. You got pretty two pretty good quarterbacks there. But to me, they're just so similar. And I do think that if Prinovich is healthy and, and he's playing pretty well, 
um, you know, that's a guy that you could perhaps get something back for. Or, you know, I know there's a contingent of fans out there who would trade Krug in that situation. If Perinovich is getting the job done, you know, trade Krug. I don't know that the Blues would have the appetite for that. But to me, long term, if these guys are both healthy, uh, they're really similar players. And I think the Blues would have to, to move one of them because uh, I just don't think you could be physical enough with that lineup. Jared, a lot of questions about Ville Husso and whether he'll return to the Blues after a great regular season for the team. What's the confidence level like internally that you've heard of in Charlie Lindgren and Joel Holfer if Ville Husso does not return to the note? Yeah, and it's looking like uh, more and more like uh, it's going to be really, really tough to bring him back. Not that we didn't know that already, but I think uh, Husso talking to people is really shooting for that big contract. And uh, you know, he's in line for about $4.5 million AAV perhaps. And people say, you know, how is that possible? Jordan Bennington won a Stanley Cup $6 million. He got, you know, a couple years later on his big deal. And Huso hasn't done that. He's only played 60 games in the league. Well, you know, with the uh, caliber of talent that's out there this summer, uh, I just think that it sets up very well for Billy Huso to, to go somewhere and get a nice contract. So what do the Blues do if, uh, if he leaves? They're going to be in the backup market. And, and if you look at the goaltending market, guys, uh, it's, not, it's not great. I mean, there are some names out there, some guys who have been around. And sure, you could bring somebody in to, to back up uh, Bennington, you know, $1.2 million, whatever, and you got yourself a veteran. Uh, but what about Charlie Lindgren? I mean, Chucky Sideburns, he's been, <laughs> he's been great. Like, uh, he leads Springfield to that Game 7 win last night. Now they're in the Calder Cup Finals. Uh, he's had a tremendous season. You know, I would like to sit here and tell you that he could be the backup uh, and he could get the job done. Can he play 20, 30 games? Can he push Jordan Bennington? I think those are the bigger questions that Doug Armstrong is going to have to ask. We saw such a small sample size, just like the backup quarterback in the NFL. It's so easy to get caught up in the backup goaltender. We've seen it time and time again here in St. Louis. You know, I think that could be the case uh, if, if they had that kind of faith in him. And with Joel Hofer, I like him, and he's got plenty of upside. I just think he's a little bit raw. We don't usually see goaltenders until 23, 24, 25, and he's still in his early 20s. So I, I think that he's a couple years uh, off. I think he needs more uh, American Hockey League games. But, you know, uh, I don't see him on a daily basis, however. And, Jr. finally, in your piece at The Athletic, uh, the other UFA you referred to is Tyler Bozak. And I think we can all agree that with the presence of Toropchenko, Logan Brown is going to be here. Jake Neighbors is expected to be here. I think we can all agree that if Tyler Bozak plays next year, it's not going to be in St. Louis. My question, though, is about Neighbors. Because in talking to people in the organization, I think we both heard that they envision him ultimately as a top nine guy, but would they start him off as a fourth line guy next season? Yeah, I think they could. And it's a good question, but I think uh, they've done that in the past with a lot of young prospects, even though, you know, they project him to be a third liner, maybe squeeze up the lineup in a pinch. Uh, I think you play him on that fourth line. Uh, we saw that he could handle it last year in training camp. He adjusted his game. Um, so if he's going to be on this roster, you know, I think it's going to be tough if everybody comes back in that top nine and that's no guarantee to, to get him into that top nine. Uh, so I think they could have a spot on that fourth line with him. Uh, even though his game is a little bit better than that, uh, I think he could handle it. JR, we've been celebrating dads all week as we lead into Father's Day on Sunday. You're one of the great dads out there. And in one of the all-time great moves, you actually built a rink in your basement for your kids. Can you just describe this to people who might not know about this? I know you've posted it on social media before, but this is one of the all-time great dad moves to do what you did. 
Yeah, no, it was fun, Michelle. You know, we played that uh, quarantine cup game during the quarantine uh, <laughs> in the unfinished basement just on top of the concrete and everything. And I just had a th- you know a thought, like, why couldn't we make uh, this into a rink down here? So we, we do have the synthetic ice, so the kids have their uh, ice skates. They can skate on it. We put up uh, walls. We, we I called uh, the Blues and talked to them about which color blue exactly, which color uh, yellow, we got we got the painted, and then we went to uh, Fast Signs, one of our friends, John Marisek, and he helped us out with uh, a graphic of the fans that kind of goes the distance on the wall, about 30 feet, and so kind of just turned it into a mini rink, and, and the kids love it, so uh, it, it's been fun to kind of take pictures of it and show people and, uh, you know, get people down in the basement. So, yeah, you know, when I was nine years old, I didn't have a rink, so I remind my kid of that all the time. <laughs> it's amazing, and Along these lines, Jr. congratulations on being the dad of a teenager. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. How about that? Yeah, 13 years old. And, hey, uh, funny one, I, I missed a little bit of the game last night because I went out to my 13-year-old daughter's uh, softball game. And kind of a cool thing here, Danny McLaughlin helped me out. I gave him the names of all the girls on the team, and he announced them like he would for the game. And so I have the recording of it, and we play it for each game. And uh, last night I recorded us playing that at the game uh, and the girls clapping for each girl's name, and I sent the video to Danny, and he said, "Aw, adorbs." <laughs> That's awesome. Adorbs. Well, you're always going the extra mile for your kids, Jr. Happy Father's Day. Hey, thanks, 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 Randy. Happy Father's Day to you, and I hope uh, at some point the rest of this week your son talks to you again. Uh, me too. Well, I, I would have to make the first move. I think here. <laughs> we'll see what happens, Jr. Thanks right. so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right, see you guys. That's our friend Jeremy Rutherford. Our Blues Insider from The Athletic read his great work at theathletic.com. And if you aren't subscribed, if Dad isn't subscribed, get him uh, an athletic subscription for Father's Day. That is such a great Father's Day gift idea because there is amazing coverage of all your favorite teams. And not only that, every day when you open the athletic app or you go to the website, there's some story about a team that you probably don't follow or maybe even a sport that you're not really uh, locked into that you're going to get sucked into. They have Mm -hmm. such great content over there and you're going to give him a gift every day because he's going to get to read JR and Katie Wu and all the other great um, writers over at the athletic. Hey, coming up next on 101 ESPN, today's big thing, Jack Flaherty returns. What did he think of his performance? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Seidenstricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com. 907 in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Carriker and Smallman. And boy, was it great to see Jack Flaherty take the mound for the Cardinals last night for the first time since last September, Michelle. And really healthy for the first time since last Memorial Day when he took the mound against the Dodgers? It's probably pretty fair because he had some lingering stuff that he was dealing with. No doubt. It's great to see him healthy and even though the command wasn't there like he talked about after the game, I think having him go out there get that first start out of the way and hopefully he's feeling good today is just a great step in the right direction. Key. 60 pitches, 37 for strikes. He went three innings. He allowed four runs on three hits, was hurt by a couple of misplays by the Cardinals. He did walk two and strike out three. So how did Jack Flaherty feel about his performance? Oh, good. 
got through three innings, threw a lot of pitches in the first, um, got more efficient as it went on, just kind of a long first inning, and then a weird second, um, and then one, two, three, third. Yeah, and the, the second inning was, as he, he said, weird, and he wasn't as good as he can be. Is that just part of the process of coming back? No, I don't. There's no part of the process of any of this. Like, if I come out and I go and pitch, like, I want to pitch well. It's not like, oh, well, you, you know, you, you pitch and it's the first one. Like, like, it's like it's, no, it's like you go out and you feel good. You felt good this whole time. And, like, you want to go out and, and pitch well and not have a first thing where you do. You make a bad pitch to run. I was like, okay, he takes advantage of it. We get a, we get a, you know, we, we walk Hayes. Probably could have made better pitches there. And then get the ground ball to, you know, on Vogelbach and, you know, it's a tough play for Donnie. Like, okay, that happens. And then, okay, and then you got to go get the next guy and make a bad pitch to Mitchell, which just extends inning even more. So, and then, you know, the inning after that, you know, I throw a ball away and, you know, that, that started it and it just was another weird inning. But there's no, like, oh, this is the process. This is the first one. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, it's the first one, but I don't, it's just not how it works. Like, when you, when you felt good and you come out and you'd be like, yeah, I feel good, stuff's been great. You know, come out and be like, oh, yeah, you know, command wasn't great. Like, yeah, that happens. You have games like that, but it's not it's always part of the process. Like, no. Michelle, I love that so much. And if if you're a Cardinal fan that has those expectations that many times I deem unreasonable, you have to love Jack Flaherty's answer there. No, it's not part of the process. I'm healthy. I'm supposed to pitch well. That's called accountability, folks, and you love to see it, especially from somebody like Jack Flaherty, who hasn't been with the Cardinals for a long time and has been rehabbing. It would be so easy for him to come out and say, yeah, you know, this might be part of the process, easing back into things. There might be a little rust or whatever for him to be like, no. This is not part of the process. I should be better. The command was not there, and I want to go out there and perform well for my team. He's just such a competitor, and I have no doubt that he's putting in the work to fix the command issues, and we'll see him get better as the season goes on. And here he is two and a half months into the season. He's had to watch this first-place team. He wants to be a part of it, so you have to believe the adrenaline was pumping at least a little bit last night, right? That's about as juiced up as I've been, honestly. Like I had to catch my breath and try to slow down there. Um, coming out, I don't know why, I don't know how or, or what. Um, usually, I keep that under under wraps pretty well, but it was one of those that I had to like, you know, kind of gather myself. So, why was he so amped up? I don't know where it came from. Just was one of those, you know, pitching playoff games before, pitching big um, settings, but um, just was one of those I really had to like slow down a little bit. Um, maybe that led to some of the, you know first inning command being a little bit off but after that we were able to you know settle in or try to settle in and go and finally settled in in the third um which is just you know one of the things of you know working on a short pitch count like you settle in and you know maybe if you know it's a longer game like it 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 turns into something different and you you try to get a little bit deeper but uh yeah michelle with his talent and his demeanor and this might be unfair on my part i fully expect him to be great so do i And he expects himself to be great, Mm -hmm. which is part of the makeup of the great ones, is that they hold themselves to unrealistic expectations and unrealistic standards. We saw the second half that Jack Flaherty put together in 2019. We know what a healthy Jack Flaherty has done in the past. 
And since then, we've been waiting to see that again. And since then, I think he's been waiting for the mm-hmm. opportunity to show that he can do it again. So I'm not surprised that now that he finally is healthy and feeling the best that he's felt in three years and he gets the opportunity to come back, that he's juiced up and that he's feeling that that anxiousness that comes with something that you've wanted for so long, finally arriving at your footsteps. But to his point... He did settle in, and I think that that's a really positive sign that he went one, two, three in the third because we are human beings, and he is a human being despite the expectations that we have for him. And that first time out there when you haven't done it in a while at this level, it's natural to feel that way. Yeah, and uh, he, he got to exactly 60 pitches. His next outing will be 75. He's very smart. He's very competitive. He has great stuff. He's got all the physical attributes. The only thing that he hasn't had is health. And he says he feels the best yep. that he's felt in three years, which has to be a relief for him. Yeah. And so we've we've talked about the fact that we believe that Jack Flaherty is great, that we believe he's going to be the ace of the Cardinals, that he should be the ace of the mm-hmm. Cardinals. Well, now that he's healthy, this is the time to prove it. This is the time to go out there and be great and be the person that we and you expect yourself to be. I am going to pitch him, if I'm Ollie and Mike Maddox, next Tuesday in Milwaukee. So the way things are setting up for me, I'm going to give Miles Michaelis seven days off and he would pitch the finale in Milwaukee. And you don't have... I guess you could go with Polante either in the Monday game or the, the Wednesday game against Milwaukee. But I think things set up so that you can still pitch Michaelis against the Brewers, but give him seven full days of rest. And that would mean that Flaherty goes on his regular four days off and then pitch on the fifth day. I can't wait to watch him pitch again. Looking forward to it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, one of the guys that we could never wait to see perform again, Big Mac, Mark McGuire, joins us on Dad's Week on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We hear all week from fathers, also from athletes talking about their dads and how they father their kids. I've talked to so many fathers that have played the game, watching their sons grow up and go through the uh, the ups and downs of trying to be an athlete, let alone a professional athlete. Yeah, it's very stressful because we've been there, we've been through it, we try to pass on the knowledge, but then again, they have to do it. It's a celebration for all sports fans, especially dads. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker with you, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and uh, one of our favorite guests. As a matter of fact, Mark McGuire, Michelle Smallman this week put you on our Mount Rushmore of guests on 101 ESPN. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me again. I really appreciate it. I always love the, the nice little text from you that have me come on the show, so I get excited about it. So thanks. Well, Mark, we always have such great conversations with you, but this week we want to talk to you about being a dad. And I know you take mm-hmm. such great pride in all of your kids and all of their athletic accomplishments. Uh, but what's it like for you to watch them all have such success in their chosen fields? It's uh, it's probably the most stressful thing I've ever <laughs> Stressful, huh? It is. Yeah. It's, I've talked to so many fathers that have, that have played the game, baseball or another uh, other sports, and watching their sons um, grow up and go through the the ups and downs of trying to be an athlete, let alone a professional athlete. Yeah, it's very stressful because, you know, we've been there, we've been through it. 
uh, we try to pass on the knowledge, but then again, they have to do it. And to, the, the times are different today. The expectations today are so much different and, and they're actually higher, I believe, just because of the social media and everybody knows everybody today. We're growing up as I did 40 some odd years ago playing as a youngster. You know, uh, we didn't know much about what everybody else was doing across the country. We just played baseball, and that was it. Um, nowadays, everybody, there's a ranking system. There's this, there's that. you got to travel, play club baseball, club basketball, whatever it may be, and you're playing it, which is a really good thing because you're, you're seeing what's out there, and you're seeing what your, your, your kids have to try to get to because the first time I had to travel four years ago with my boys, my mouth dropped when I was down in Hoover, Alabama, checking out these kids that are 15 and 16 years old. And I'm like, they're grown men. I mean, <laughs> the size of these kids today. And then I, and we, we were flying home from the week down there. And I'm just like, the only difference is, is not the talent. It's just the size of uh, being mature. And so that's really it. And then watching them play and then the stressfulness of them trying to maybe try to do a little too much in front of their dad or whatever it may be. And, you know, and I just say, listen, it, you just have to trust, trust your ability. That's what it comes down to. Cause what do you do when you, when you play in your backyard with your friends and your parents or whatever, playing a pickup football game or whatever, you're just trusting your athletic ability. You're out there having fun then all of a sudden you're playing in an organized game and then all of a sudden things get more tense. And, you know, those are the things that I, I try to get across to them is this, you trust your ability, you know, that God has a plan for everybody and you just have to do your best. And when you can go away from that sporting event, that given day and say, and look in the mirror and say, I did my best I, I could do that day. And that's, that's what it's, that's what it's about. Mark Mark McGuire with us on 101 ESPN. You love baseball. We know you love Major League Baseball. So you're with the Padres, you're coaching, and you reach the decision that you're going to walk away from that so that you can be with not only your sons, yeah. uh, Max and Mason, but you, you've got three young daughters as well. Was that planned out long term? Can you take us through the process of deciding to walk away from baseball so that you could be with your kids? That wasn't, I mean, I was probably starting to think about that uh, my last year with, uh, with San Diego, 18, right, 2018, um, I was probably thinking about that in mm, the July, 1st of August, and I was just, you know, um, I, I just knew that I needed to be around them because it's like I knew I needed to travel with them to do what I was talking about earlier, go to these showcases, go to these tournaments. There was no way my wife could do that, take my two boys and the triplet girls by herself to go out there and do that. There's no way. And here I am sitting at a major league ballpark <laughs> coaching. It just, I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't look at myself and saying, as a father saying, no, this is, you know, it's more important for me to walk away from the game to try to try to be with my boys and try to see how they're both really talented. If they make it, they may, I don't know. It's up to them. Right. But I want to give them every uh, opportunity to possibly make it. And so that was my thing. I just, 
uh, I just decided to walk away from I had one more year left on the contract with San Diego and um, I elected to be home and it turned out to be awesome. I mean, it's just, listen, I miss the game. I miss being in the dugout. I wish I could be there someday, but, you know, I think those days might be over with, but it's just, I, I just miss being around it. It's in my blood, but I'm around it in a different way. I'm around it as a father. Um, but like I said earlier, it is probably more stressful than being in the dugout just because it's your own and you want them to succeed. And like I say, listen, you're going to fail. Everybody fails. But the thing is, is the great ones overcome the failure. The ones that are going to make it and be successful realize it. They embrace the failure and they move on. You know, the ones that they can't, they can't handle failure and sit there and complain and point fingers and do this. Those are the ones that aren't going to last very long. So that's what I keep telling them. I said, listen, everybody's going to make mistakes. You just have to keep pounding through it. And it's okay. Just learn from it. Move on. Learn how that guy got you out. Learn how that guy got a hit off you. You know, you just can't say, oh, I got to throw this pitch or I got to hit this pitch. You know, everybody, the, the greatest players in the game are always making adjustments. And those are the things that I, that I try to instill in my kids. And, and the thing is, it's better for me to be there instead of being away from them and try to tell it to them on the phone. Um, so I was really happy that I did. It was a great move on my part, even though I missed the game terribly. Mark, you mentioned what it's like now for kids coming up to have social media wrapped into the pressures of things they're dealing with when it comes to athletics. And I saw a video on social media of you and your son, Max, and they had you in a split screen side by side showing your batting stance and your swing and how similar it is. We've seen all those videos of Tiger Woods watching his son, Charlie, and him seeing the similarities. When you watch Max or Mason play, do you see a lot of yourself in them? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I really, really do. Um, and it's it's funny because you know Max is being you know he's a, a first baseman at OU and they're they're heading to the College World Series this tomorrow. I think or actually today they have practice today and heading down to Omaha to tonight. Um, you know, um, and then I see I, mean, I see myself in Mason as a pitcher. You know, because it's it's funny because I mean that's all I did when I was a kid. Uh, even though I hit, my first love was pitching. Because when you had that ball in your hand, you had control of the game. The game didn't move until you threw the baseball. And I just loved that. So I see, I see myself in both of them. And, but they're two, two totally different personalities, too. So it's, it's just really funny to watch them grow up and to watch them mature, watch them to deal with success, watch them to deal with failure. You know, and I'm there for them. And it's like, no matter what I'm going to do. And that's the thing. Uh, when I told them, I, I asked them, I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm thinking about walking away from coaching. And I said, if I do that, and you guys have to be on board with this, I said, I'm going to be totally truthful with you guys. I am not going to sugarcoat anything. I am going to be hard on you because I am going to tell you the truth. The problem with society today is nobody gets told the truth anymore. Mm-hmm. And people don't want to hear the truth because they cry and they, they turn and put their heads in the sand. So I said, I am going to be hard on you just because I'm going to tell you the truth. And this is the way the game is run. And this is what's going to happen if you have an opportunity to get signed and, and sign a professional uh, contract. And so that's what it, and they agreed to that. And so there's been times when I've <laughs> when I've been so dead honest and I still am 
that, listen, this is what I see and this is what's going to happen. And you might have to do something a little bit different to change this, you know, change the opinions of your coaches, change the opinions of your, your teammates or whatever it may be. But that's the one thing I told him. And that's the one thing that I, I just love because I've been through so much in my career, so much failure and success, but I had so much more failure than success. So if there's anybody that has the knowledge of passing on the good and the bad, it's me. And that's the one thing that I try to pass on to my boys. And, and I see it in both of them and I just can't wait to see them flourish. They're only 18 and 19 years old. They're babies. They're, they're, they haven't even matured yet. They're, they're only 190 pounds. I can't imagine what they're going to be at a 220 pounds. <laughs> so, um, I hope we all get to see them play in the big league someday. So, that would be sure. That'd be really awesome. But I'll tell you what, if I'm in the stands watching, my God, I'm going to be a nervous wreck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Mark, you doing that for them, serve them well, and it'll serve them well in the future as well. Mark McGuire with us on 101 ESPN with Carriker and Smallman. More coming up right after this. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Here it comes to McGuire. Swing! Look at there! Look at there! Look at there! McGuire's number 61. McGuire's flight 61. Headed for Planet Maris. Home run, McGuire. 61. History. Bedlam. What a moment. Shaking hands with the third baseman of the Cubs. Pardon me while I stand up and applaud. McGuire picks up his son, Matt, points to the fans, points to the police on the field, greeted by his teammates. He's even with Mark McGuire. What a, what a, what a cardinal moment this is. What a baseball moment this is. It has never happened before here in St. Louis. And Mike Shannon, this is one of the greatest moments that you and I and Joe Buck have ever shared. Former Cardinal Slugger Mark McGuire with us on 101 ESPN. And Mark, we, first of all, we appreciate you taking the time. And I want to talk about the 1998 season. September 7th, you hit home run number 61. Your dad is here. And uh, when you circle the bases after hitting your 61st home run, there's your son, Matt, waiting for you at home plate. And you give him a big hug. What's the significance to you of September 7th? Well, I mean, shoot. Well, first of all, I lost my father on December 29th, uh, 2020. Um, he passed away uh, with leukemia, um, and so that was uh, that was a big loss. Um, he lived an unbelievable, fantastic life for a man that had polio at the age of seven years old. Um, to uh, to think that he never had an opportunity to play sports, and then let alone. <clears throat> Uh, let alone have two professional athletes that he was a father of. My brother Dan, who played uh, NFL for five years with Seattle and Miami, but for somebody that that didn't have the opportunity because he was stricken with polio, it was. Uh, it was uh, definitely a big, a big loss. But 
the thing is about my dad and that day was, I mean, truly remarkable because of how that year just went. There were so many things that uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm totally convinced the universe had control of that year because of all the things that happened. And, you know, to think about hitting a 61st home run on my father's 61st birthday. I mean, that is just, I mean, where does that happen? Um, so it, it happens from above and, you know, and I, and I was, I mean, I, I couldn't have been any more happier and, and it was just a, just a um, special, special moment in my life. And I'm, I'm almost certain it was a special moment in my father's life. Um, but to, to, uh, to, to see him in there in the stands and, and to watch him. And there was somebody did a great painting, uh, for me and uh, gave it to me and and there was in the in the center of the painting was my parents jumping up and my dad always had his arms up above his head that was pretty <laughs> that's awesome. so cool that's amazing <laughs> mark we've had so many great conversations with you about mental toughness and you just talked about how you instill that in your children as well when you talk about your dad overcoming polio at such a young age and going on to have the life that he had did you get that mental toughness from him there's no question. Uh, I don't think I ever heard the man complain. <laughs> you know, I, I never heard him complain of one thing. Um, now think about this. So, you know, he went to Gonzaga as undergrad for college. He went to University of Washington for dental school, graduated. He was a dentist. He's a very successful dentist for, I think, close to 50 years. Um, you know, his work ethic was off the charts. Uh, the mental toughness of being a perfectionist in the dental field is just remarkable. When you, if you ever had a chance to be my dad, the size of his fingers were like one finger was one, one of his fingers was two of my fingers. That's how big his paws were. Wow. And to think about, he of putting his hands in your mouth and, <laughs> and, and being a perfectionist is just, it's remarkable, you know? Um, you know, so, but the thing is that for a man that with his, his mental toughness to do what he had to do with being stricken seven months bedridden with polio as a seven year old. And then his mother never really trying to help him up as a kid instilled the toughness in him made him still walk to school with a leg brace. Um, and for just, I mean, he grew up that way. And then the thing is, is he never complained. He never had a bad back. I mean, think about that. When one leg is shorter than the other, I mean, he's growing up and his back set up to where it was, it was amazing that he never had any bad, any kind of physical problems his whole life. He played golf every Wednesday with his group of dentists uh, doctor friends, and he walked. He would not take a golf cart. He walked, and he walked with a limp. He played with a, I think it was a two or three inch lift on his shoes, but he still had a limp because his right leg was obviously way smaller. And um, and, it, and it got to the point, be, uh, you know, years before he passed away, that it became so fragile, and, and it just looked like it was just going to bend backwards. He had to have this leg brace on. And, we finally got him a wheelchair where he can start, you know, moving around a little bit better. But for a man to grow up back in those days, um, you know, when he got stricken with polio to, to 
be as tough as he was as a, as a man uh, being successful as he was as a dentist and to never show any kind of just, I guess, I mean, he never complained. And, 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 I, and I think about the times that all the bad times that I went through throughout my career, the ups and downs, and I'm just like thinking the times that, yeah, I probably complained a lot. But I think the bottom line is when I really sat down and looked at the mirror, I'm like, here's my dad that had to go through what he had to go through, and he never complained, so why am I complaining? Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I, the thing is, this is work ethic. His work ethic was off the charts. And the thing is, he was out the door before I got up in school. He was always home later. He, that's his work ethic. And then I see myself as an athlete. I was always one of the first ones there, and I was always one of the last ones to leave. Um, and I was a perfectionist, and and I and I, I truly believe that was something that he didn't necessarily talk about. It was just one of those things. When I was a kid growing up, I just watched and I saw that, and I saw the the the, the work ethic and what he did as a as a man as a professional. Um, um, dentist and and the things he had to do and the the caring person that he was but um yeah so i mean it was truly truly awesome and then the other thing about september 7th of 1998 and it's 24 years ago uh ago now so uh mad mcguire is grown up and he's doing (laughs) great but that iconic photo and i I guarantee you have that photo in your house right of lifting him up at home plate after you hit that home run that's amazing. I know. And it, it just, <laughs> man, and talk about, he's been very successful too. And, uh, he's, uh, he's, 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 uh, he's in the analytics and he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's worked with three or four companies now. And he, I'm telling you, he's going to be a, a, a CEO someday, a, a senior vice president someday. This kid's got a lot of great things going for him. Well, he took his mom. He took the brains, the, the smartness from his mother. So, <laughs> like, so that's why he's being so successful. But uh, you know, he's got a couple of degrees, and I couldn't be happier for him. He got married a, oh, almost two years two years ago, and um, doesn't live too far away from here. So it's, you know, I mean, he, I'm just really happy what things how things have worked out for him. That's as good as it gets. Mark, we talked to you around opening day about this year's Cardinals and uh, obviously you're friends with and go to Nolan Arenado's warehouse. What have your impressions been? I know you watch a lot of Cardinal baseball. What do you think? Wow. I tell you what, they're doing quite well with a lot of, uh, they've had a lot of injuries and they've had a lot of guys on the IL and they still do. Uh, I mean, I mean, Michaelis last night, how about that? Um, that was exciting to watch. Um, I just wanted him to call another back foot curveball, and then they, they sort of went away. He tried to throw a back a back door curveball because he kept on throwing those back foot curveballs to the left-handers, and I didn't think that ball was going to carry that far, but gosh, that would have been awesome to see him uh, throw a no-hitter. I mean, tonight you get back uh, Flaherty and – you know, it's just like uh, Goldie's having a, an unbelievable season. Nolan's been steady as can be. But the thing is, it's so impressive. Is I think I've counted it. 18 of the 25 players on the team are homegrown. And that's, that is a rarity today. And it's a testament to Mo and the, the minor league uh, staff and everybody that just um, – I think it's Randy Flores that does the drafting for the, uh, 
amateur drafting. It's just a testament to them that the, the type of players they get. I am so impressed with Brendan Donovan. It's just mm-hmm. Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes. I mean, it's like, you know, these are guys that you see in spring training, you, you see them play, and you go, oh, okay, these guys are nice. And then they, they get a chance to come to the big leagues, and they've just been stellar. It's just, like, awesome. Think about the outfield. I mean, homegrown. You know, O'Neill, Bader, Carlson. It's just like, I mean, you don't see that in the game today. And, and it's like, and there was an article out here in LA, and they were talking about all the injuries and stuff that's going on with the Dodgers. And uh, Freeman says we're we're going to look in house to to solve the problem. And I kind of started chuckling. You know, like, well, that's why you have the minor leagues. Yeah, you have to look in the it, it, you know in house. But the thing is, year in and year out. And I tell this to everybody I talk to about baseball. You know, everybody's always oh, you know it's the cardinal way. What's the cardinal way? You're looking at it right now. Mm-hmm. You're looking at it right now. 18 of the 25, at least 18 of the 25, are homegrown, and they are, they are baseball players. They can play the game of baseball. And it's just, uh, I mean, think about, I mean, Brendan Donovan, I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's a, like a, a well-known name amongst the minor leagues or, 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 or in the big leagues as of yet, but this kid can play anywhere, any position on the field, and he sticks his nose in there every at bat. I mean, it's just like you you, you can't see that. You, you don't see that often. You see kids that are so timid. He is not timid at all. And I'm telling you what, what a credit. I mean, and and, uh, and I have to get a shout out to Andre Palante, yeah. UCI. Yeah. UCI right down the 10 minutes from my, not even 10 minutes, <laughs> right, right next to my house here. And, uh, I mean, what a job he's done. Um, and it's like, I mean, he's got a shot to, I mean, I know he, he got a start the other night, and I don't know if he's going to stay in the rotation, but I'm telling you what, he has got some really, really good stuff. I mean, there's nothing better than you see a, when you're seeing a 94, 95 mile an hour fastball has a little bit of cut to it at the end, and then you got a nasty 12 6 curveball. I mean, it's just like, what? Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, so, anyways, they have, they, the Cardinals are in a great position. I mean, listen, the whole, I think, uh, like Milwaukee, uh, Cincinnati, Chicago, they're, they're like, the last 10 games are all one, one and nine. And St. Louis has taken over the taken over when they're Milwaukee thought they had a nice cruising lead, and then all of a sudden St. Louis had a little bit of lull there. But then Milwaukee got had a big losing streak, and then all of a sudden here comes St. Louis, and but they withstood the the injuries, and I know they have some more injuries with uh, with with Hicks and Reyes still on the IL, but it's just like they just keep bringing up players from down down in the minors that just come up and do the job. Um, and it's just, it's just really fun to, fun to watch. And Cardinal fans have to be excited about it. I'm living out here in California, watching from afar. And it's just like, you can hear the excitement that I have for it. Yeah. So, um, but it's just, the, the thing is I want to emphasize, it's just like the, the homegrown and what they do is just so important to the game today. And I, I just think it's, it, it just doesn't get talked about enough. 
Mark, last thing for me, you mentioned Paul Goldschmidt, so I want to circle back to Goldie for a second. He is playing at an unbelievable level right now. We spoke to Adam Wainwright on the show today who said that he knew that he was going to have an MVP-type season back in spring training. He was just that locked in at the plate. And I don't know if there's anyone on planet Earth who knows more about being locked in at the plate than you do, Mark. So when you watch Paul Goldschmidt right now, what do you see? I see what you just said. He's locked in. Um, yeah, his mind's on another level. And it's just, it, it's hard to explain the, um, it's hard to explain when not many people have been in that position. It's, it's in a position where it's like you're in total control with everything, anything that is going on. I mean, even your outs are not even bad outs, you know what I mean? And, um, and the thing is, is like the, the stellar defense he plays is like, I mean, it doesn't get talked about enough either, too. Um, it, it's it's just like it, it's just fun to watch. It's fun to watch when somebody is on another level, um, and it's and, it, and he's so, just so quiet and so mild mannered about the, what things he does, and and I love his little home run trot. It's just like he goes ninety degrees, turns ninety degrees, and then he turns ninety degrees, he turns ninety <laughs> degrees, you know, and he has that nice little run. He doesn't. There's no there's no kind of showboating or you know today trying to you know, let everybody have fun kind of thing. He just, he does his work. He puts in his work. And that's the one thing that, you know, a lot of people don't see what they do behind the scenes is I'll guarantee he's putting the same work he did in the first day of spring training he's doing today. You know, he's not letting up. And, th- and I know no one's doing the same thing. Um, but that being with all these youngsters, seeing that, that is only going to benefit the Cardinals and all these young players for years to come. You, when you get to watch, when you have Donovan Gorman, Yepes, you know, O'Neill Bader, Carlson, watching Goldie and, and Arenado, like, doing their everyday work, and then let alone, you got Grandpa in there, Albert, <laughs> you know, you got him in there, and, and, and he's like, He's a player, player, coach. That's what they should just do. Player, coach. He should be sitting up there next to Skip, being his assistant, assistant, the bench coach. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's just like what. And then you got, and then the pitchers get Adam Wainwright, and you get, you know, uh, Michaelis. That they're veterans. They know what the heck they're. I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh. I tell you what, um, what a job Mo did. putting this team together and he didn't really have to do much but it's just like man it's it's you know when you have talent like you have it's like you don't have to go out and and go out and and trade players or buy players from free agency like that they know what they have and that's what Mo's done from day one since he took that job as as the GM and running the team and I don't know what's his title now. President of whatever I don't know. We call him the Pobo. Yeah, Pobo, President of Baseball Operations, (laughs) and for short, we just call him the Pobo. I know. And think about like he's made he's made he's made two really big trades in the last what three or four years. Goldie and and Aaron Nato, right? And that's really it. And it's like and it's like and everybody's like, okay, what are we going to do to surround the surround those guys with? (laughs) You're seeing it now. You're seeing it now. And they knew what they had in the minor league system, and it's coming to fruition right now. So um, they're in, you know, you know. I'm sorry about they have to play in 110 degree weather with humidity. <laughs> and stuff, but, but, you know, I just remember telling the owners. I remember telling the owners when they're building that stadium. I said, 
I go, why don't you guys get a retractable roof just like they did in Milwaukee? And they said, well, it's going to cost a couple hundred more million. I'm like, well, you'll reap the benefits later on. He says, no, they're still going to come. Fans are still going to come. And I'm like, okay, they're still coming, but they still got they still got to stand that humidity. So, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks to the guy that started all of that, Mark McGuire. We uh, we always appreciate your time. Your generosity is really well appreciated, and we wish you a very happy Father's Day on Sunday. Likewise, to everybody, happy Father's Day to everybody out there, and um, yeah, it, it's a it's a great for a great day for us fathers. It really is. Mark McGuire on 101 ESPN. And Michelle, I have a, I covered him in 97 when he got here, 98, 99, 2001. I have a better relationship with Mark McGuire now than I ever had when he was a player. Well, we've talked to him so many times, Randy, and he's been so generous with us, not only with his time, but in sharing himself with us. And I think not having the pressure and being able to just enjoy his life and reflect back on everything that he was able to accomplish, it puts you in a different headspace. And by the way, I hope this franchise that has had had the tradition tradition meets today mantra man i hope they look at mason mcguire in the draft he's a guy that's throwing 95 got a good slider the cubs and the yankees are already interested in him they've had him throw for their organizations i would hope that the cardinals will at least take a look at mason mcguire they missed out on fernando tatis jr yeah you would at least want to give get some eyes on him yeah right if all these other organizations are interested in him and he's in your family yeah i would look at him i would too so you want me to play this huh yeah, hold on. First, we need to fire off the You're Killing Me Smalls open. Oh, right. Let's do that. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Mobile on the Run. On the Run is your summertime snack and sip store. I don't want to cover up Mobile on the Run, my summertime sack and snip, uh, sip store, because as Michelle, <laughs> as you can see, got a mobile on the run cup right here mobile on the run sponsors you're killing me small so we love them and i don't want to short change our friends at mobile on the run huge huge mobile on the run people here in this room randy not only has a mobile on the run beverage in front of him it's an extra large yeah so (laughs) but anyway we will do this I think it's important to fire off the club horns here because we're celebrating. There's nothing killing me about this. Randy Carricker has always been a Hall of Famer in our hearts, and now he's officially a Hall of Famer. Randy, can you please share your big news? So, yeah, I got the news from Parkway School District Superintendent Keith Marty that I have been elected to the Parkway Hall of Fame. So All I'm gonna, right, Randy. You. I'm going to join Steve Savard. Thanks to, by the way, our first producer here, uh, my first producer on 101 ESPN, Chris Gardner, was the person that now nominated me, really worked hard at it too. And thanks to all the people who participated in the vote, looking forward to November 12th when I'm inducted. And I'm a proud Parkway alum. Both of my kids went to Parkway North as I did. So looking forward to it. And I'm honored to be a part of their HOF. I'm going to start signing my autograph differently. You should sign HOF because you are you are a Hall of Famer for life. Now, uh, quick question before mm-hmm. we go. Yeah. Do you get a jacket like the Cardinals Hall of Famers get? Oh, a we, ring maybe? A bust? Like, we, do you, What do you get? I have to find out about this. That's a great point. Gold, probably, because the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Red, probably not. Maybe purple, Parkway North. That would be cool. I would purple like jacket. If yeah. not, we can make you one, buddy. Okay, let's make that happen. That would be awesome. You, like you can wear lot. it at your induction. <laughs> that would be great. We also have some tickets to give away to Dead & Company next Tuesday at the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets on sale now, but you can find out more information at 101ESPN.com or on the 101 mobile app. Today's question is, 
Who is preparing the steak on the grill at the Kachuk household? Big Wall joined us in the first hour, and uh, there's like a, it's not a multiple answer, but it's who's preparing the steak? Who's going to be the best at preparing the Father's Day steak at the Kachuk household? Great job today by our producer engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. Michelle, this was awesome. We always like talking to, to Mark and Big Walt. He couldn't have been a more fun day. What a great day. Can't wait to come back tomorrow. Should be fun. And who's doing the fight tomorrow? It's my favorite person on planet Earth, my dad, Tony Smallman. Sorry, Mom, I know you're listening. Tied for first. Looking for that. <laughs> Looking forward to that. It'll be great. He Hey, we thank you. And by the way, get your text in, 65780 for the Dead & Company tickets. Again, who's sizzling up the steak at the Kachuk household this weekend? What number? Text her. We oh, yeah. Uh, how, wanted, let's do 19. Okay. In honor of Matthew Kachuk. Not necessarily the answer. Future blue, Matthew Kachuk. There you go. Hey, there's a reason that 19 hasn't been issued since Jay Bowmeister. Just like we're going to call you Hall of Famer Randy Carricker, he has to be known as future blue, Matthew future Kachuk. Blue, Matthew Put it Kachuk. in the universe. Yep. For all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.